Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires... Get into Dobbs. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. Brianna off to take the shot now for the Dallas Stars. From the far wing into the middle of the ice, shoots it under the legs of Allen and scores. And now the Blues need a goal, so they bring out the bearded one, Ryan O'Reilly. Here he comes. Ryan O'Reilly trying to extend the game. Slows down, deep, shoots, blockers, save, Hudobin. And the Dallas Stars come from behind and win in a shootout to beat the Blues 2-1. to Jamie, I was told the things were going to get better over the weekend. Who told you that? They did get a little better. I mean, they... They held the lead until right there at the very end. The defense was a little better. The goaltending was great. Those were two things that were fine in the game before, too. <laughs> trying to build on the, the positives first game. here. I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm trying to to go in the same direction as they you They scored right on now. their first shot of they the game. Did. Robert Thomas looked awesome. If they only had first shots every other time, too. <laughs> That was pretty much it. I know. That's all I got in terms of silver lining. <sighs> what the hell happened, dude? Okay, here again, you know, for our listeners at home, I, I'm not just saying this, okay, to, to hear myself say it. Game shape. And it doesn't mean to be in shape like riding a bike or running or being able to throw weights around because these guys are all like the highest percentage of athlete in the world, okay? But game shape, and it's just pertinent to Blues game shape. The Blues play a very grinding style of hockey. They're not the fastest team in the league. They weren't the fastest team in the league last year. In fact, that's one of the things that a lot of people, outsiders, would comment on during their tough times at the start of the season was, ah, we don't think they have enough speed. Great players, but we don't think they have enough speed. Well, the Blues, under Coach Berube, found a way to use what they have and maximize it. Maximizing it is that tight checking game, being one guy after another, after another, uh, another in the lane, taking away pucks, playing physical, maintaining puck possession, grinding down the other team to where you can see their legs getting straight on the defense because they're so exhausted they can't even bend their knees anymore. Then they capitalize. Guys, we're not getting that right now because our team, our home team, the Blues, are not in Blues game shape. And you can see it. And as the game goes on, you know, the start of the yesterday, you talked about Robert Thomas scores right away, which, by the way, Robert Thomas, side note, I know we'll get to it later. He looks ready. Best player on the ice. <laughs> he looks ready. Yeah. Okay. But after that, if you watch the, you know, we talked about seconds, milliseconds, tenth of a second last week without diving into that whole shenanigan again. 
it is getting worse. I can tell you by watching the games and using the stopwatch and observing the forecheck in the neutral zone, the offensive zone, that between the first and the third period is a drastic drop-off to the point where in the third, the Blues are barely penetrating the offensive zone in the third. Yeah, that's right. Barely penetrating the offensive zone yeah, in that's the third. It. Repeat it twice. That's good. That's good. <laughs> All right. Now, good I'm, that's going to be hard <laughs> to score goals, especially one thing to protect the lead. And Jake Allen was fantastic, by the way. Fantastic. But you can't sit there playing rope-a-dope because, you know what, once in a while there's that one punch that finds its way in and you're knocked out, right? And that's what happened to the Blues. The end of the game, Pavelski shoots a shot that I it was a seeing-eye shot. Jamie Benn in front of the net unattended to, by the he way. He didn't even know that puck was going there, though. Who? Ben, he ducked like no, this. No, no, he was afraid yeah. he was going to get it right between yeah. the eyes. His eyes Trust were closed me. on that. I've been on that path before. It's an uneasy <laughs> feeling. But nonetheless, he was right in front of Jake Allen, who had no chance on it. And then the Blues, of course, unfortunately couldn't close it out in the shootout. So, guys, the problem for me is that instead of ramping it up as the game goes along, which is usually how the Blues operate, right now they're starting at a somewhat high level, and then it's trending downward consistently through the end of the game. I, they're I'm, just running out of gas. I'm genuinely cons- uh, questioning this, Riv, so give me your thoughts on this. How much of this is is the amount of penalties, though? Because if you think about it, the fatigue factor kicks in in the third period. From the 12-minute mark in the second period all the way to the final two minutes of that second, the Blues are on the penalty kill. Like, it was penalty after penalty after penalty. And I'm not saying it was the officiating or if it was the Blues. The Blues are doing things wrong. They're sticking fractions. And that also goes back to the game shape. When you're not in game shape, you end up getting more of these ticky-tack penalties because you're not in the right spot. And is that the fatigue, then? in the third period because these guys... The, there's a certain group of guys who aren't on the ice. Like Vladimir Tarasenko's not on the ice for a penalty kill for that amount of time. So you're not getting your legs under you for a whole period. And then you've got your penalty killers who are exhausted killing mm-hmm. penalty after penalty. So when you're seeing all those in the first and second, the third period, guys are kind of shot by that point. Listen, this is definitely shooting yourself in the foot. Right. Okay. It's like quicksand is what I always refer to. Hockey quicksand, meaning that the harder you struggle, the harder you work, sometimes the worse it is. And in this case for the St. Louis Blues, they're not able to keep up, right? So they're taking these penalties, and then these penalties put a ton of pressure on the O'Reillys, the Petros, the Parecos, all your guys, except for Vladdy, I think everybody else kills penalties. Schwartzy d- doesn't, but B- Braden Shen does get out there. Uh, Robert Thomas, though, he gets cold on the bench, and he's your fastest skater by far and arguably your best player on the ice, yeah. although I would say Jake Yellen was pretty darn good, too. Yeah. Sanford's not on those penalty kills either. No, but I'm just saying, the point is, is you get a very small group that are on the ice all the time, and yes, the fatigue, gentlemen, is leading to these calls, and they're stick, they're stick penalties, okay? Yeah. They're not like aggressive body-checking in your face, rubbing a guy's face into the glass. As a team, you look at that and you go, you know what? Those are good penalties. Right. We'll kill those. You know why? Because player X is he's in it. He wants it. The hooking, the slashing, the reaching, those are awful penalties to take. And you know why it happens? Because they're not moving their feet, BK, because they're unable to move their feet at the right speed. They were 27-0-6 this season when they were leading after two periods. 27-0-6. In this round robin, in which they played three games, 
They had the lead after two in three games, and they went 0-2 in one in those games and were outscored 6 to nothing in the third period. This isn't limited. This is not an isolated case. This is now a trend. We are seeing something consistent that is taking place in every one of these games. The Blues, even when they get off to a nice start, as they did last night, over the course of the game, it gets worse and worse and worse to, until at the very end, they're holding on for dear life as they've tried to do in multiple games. I don't know how you felt in the moment, guys, but as we got into the final two minutes of that third period, I looked around the entire room and asked all of them, are the Blues going to be able to hold this off? Are they going to be able to win this in regulation? Every single person in the room at that moment said, Mm-mm, they're going to score here. Because you could feel it. It was coming. It was a matter of when, not if, the Stars were going to score that goal. And then it just felt like an inevitability that they were going to find a way to lose that game. That's not the Blues that we've seen over the last calendar year. That's not the Blues that we've grown accustomed to under Craig Berube. And it's not his his fault, necessarily, but this is the team that we're dealing with right now. So I want to ask you what Michelle Smallman put on Twitter the other day. Because she asked after the game, she took a poll of the fan base. Are you freaking out or still not nervous? And 55% of the audience said that they are still not nervous. 45% though said they're officially freaking out after what we saw in the round robin. Jamie, where are you at? I'm not freaking out. Okay, I'm angry. And I'm intense about it. And that's for several reasons. And you guys know I care tremendously about the success of these teams and have personal relationships all throughout that organization. So, yeah, I, I'm upset for sure. But I'm not in panic mode. I, I'm not there yet. I do think that although there's very little runway left to be ready for the first series, there still is some time. And... Look, the Blues are a very proud group of players. This is why they won the Cup last year, is because they refused to lose. They just simply said, no, we're not going to lose, and screw you all, we're going to take this thing. And so they can get back to that frame of mind. But right now I look at tired eyes when I scan that bench, and I don't mean just physically. Tired eyes are guys that look like, gosh, I don't really want to be on the ice right now. Please don't tap my number. Please don't call my number. Those are tired eyes, guys that are, are, are not ready to go. And so Craig Berube, this is, I, I, remember me saying this, okay, guys? Craig Berube will be 100% judged for this season on how he is able to turn this team around, okay? And I'm not saying the pressure's on Craig Berube or that he's not able to do it, that he wasn't sensational last year. I understand what I'm saying right now. A pandemic came. The Blues didn't have any way to really work out or skate or do anything like that. They came back somewhat slow. They had their own little problem when it first got. They came back. They had a few guys that were, well, we'll call it unfit to play. <laughs> All right. So that slowed down their progress too. Now they're up in the bubble. They're all for three in the round robin. Not a good look for the St. Louis Blues. Everything's uphill from here. Now, what can Craig Berube, Steve Ott, and Mike Van Ryan do? to help their team because just reaching over and kicking them right in the Pishneras, that's not going to work because a tired brunch just goes fine. Kick me in the Pishneras. I don't care. I give up. You need to find a way to inspire this group. And I think Craig Berube, knowing him as well as I do, I think he's going to do a good job. And I do believe the Blues will be ready for Vancouver. To me, you can't freak out because at the end of the day, the opponent still has to beat you four out of seven. And now you're getting into territory to where you're on the ice every other day or in a couple of senses, you're playing back-to-back games. Tired legs, yes, but you're not so much 
playing, sitting for three days back on the ice. I'm interested to see how this team does when they get into a rhythm like this. And we've talked with players. They've said the rhythm doesn't really matter. Perron told us he enjoys having those days off. Yeah. But when you get into a backs against the wall scenario, I'm very curious of what that looks like. And you got to beat the teams that have won the cup in a seven game series. I always like the blues. And also with all of this looking at for the St. Louis blues really comes down to the health factor. And you're still a healthy team going into this. Do we know what's going on with Sammy Blay? So right now, Baruby said he was going to be reevaluated. He came back. He only played one shift, though, uh, in that third period after he took that nasty fall in the second period. We'll find out more later on today. Actually, we won't. But to be honest, it'll just be unfit or able to play. Yeah, you'll find anything is, out. But I have a feeling a little birdie might pass on information that will clarify whether we'll see him okay. or not. So hopefully. I know a birdie up in Canada. A couple of oh, birdies. There's a lot probably. of them. It's called the, uh, the pigeon, eh? Speaking of birdies, Craig Berube, here's what he had to say after the game about the round robin and why it didn't mean enough for the Blues. I thought this was an interesting quote from the coach after the game. Well, I don't know how many pros I can sit here and, and really give you because we didn't I, we didn't play very well in the round robin. Um, we played periods here and there, spurts here and there, but there wasn't a ton of pros for us, um, the cons of it all. The games probably didn't mean enough, you know, and um, that's the best way I could put it. The games probably didn't mean enough. That's the best way that I can put it, end quote. That makes me sick. It makes me sick. To our, our, our start of the show on, what was that, Friday? Yep. Friday. This is the mentality that you've given the players. This is the mentality that the players have adopted, even amongst the group. I'm sorry. And I know the text line was like, come on, Rev. You know, it's just, oh, who cares, right? Everything matters. It's all about winning every single game. If you're not going to bother to try and win every single game, why do you even play it? Now they matter. There they is matter. no more excuse. You can no longer look at these games the same way that you did. Let's say that that's the explanation, right? I'm not going to say excuse. Let's say that's the explanation for what we saw the last three games. Can't be the explanation for these next ones because now they matter. This is a win or go home scenario. You've got Blues versus Canucks. Game number one's coming up on Wednesday night. Whew. Hope you're ready to stay up late for these ones. Pre-game starts at 8.30 with Alex Ferrario. Puck drop at 9.30. It's all right here on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN. So some late night games for you this week. We will continue to keep you apprised with it all as we go along here today on Ribs and BK. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 11.16. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I had a big weekend. We're going to talk about it coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Well played. Well played. Alongside Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So I did not get married over the weekend. You got hitched. Close <laughs> enough there, fella. Basically did, BK. I did have something in common with Connor Gr- McGregor over the weekend for the first time. I'm pretty sure in both of our lives, we share nothing else in common. This is true. You threw chairs at a bus? No, no he did God. not do that this weekend. No. <laughs> he did, however, get engaged, as did I. I went up to Columbia, we made the trek, and we got down on a knee. Both of you? I got down on a knee, (laughs) and she said yes, boys. (laughs) What? 
Oh, oh, we were supposed to save the pit bulls for later in the segment, Ribs. Damn. Who let the dogs out? So, who, um, who, who, who? this has been in the works for a while. We've been talking about this behind the scenes for God only knows how long here on the show. Um... Officially made it happen over the weekend. Barely slept on Thursday and Friday nights. We were able to uh, make it work, though. So Saturday, we get up, we get ready to go. The plan is in place. I'm going to meet my mom in Columbia for dinner. My, Me and Kara are going to meet my mom out there. My mom lives in Kansas City. So that's City. the diversion is, hey, honey, hey, Kara, we're going to go up to Columbia and we're going to meet my mom for dinner because you do that periodically. Correct. Because, because your mom's in Kansas City. And it's halfway, correct? Exactly. All right, just setting the stage So we have decided that we are going to meet in the middle, meet in Columbia. This is something that we've done before. We do so regularly, and that's what we're going to do on Saturday. So Kara has no idea at this point as to why there are other things in place, right? So we are on our way to Columbia. My mom gives me a call. She says, hey, running a little bit late. If you guys want to walk around campus or something, feel free to do so. Was I'll try to planned? be there as soon as possible. Yes, the that was in the plan. The phone call was planned. Correct. Okay. So I told I'm my mom, hey, call me at 3.30. You've got to say, I've, I'm behind, can't get there, make up whatever excuse you want to, but you can't make it there on time and say, why don't you guys go walk around campus? So we... Get to Columbia, we are arriving at the quad, and we start walking on to the quad, right? And at this point, I just, like, black out. I I have no idea what she's saying. She's talking to me. I'm just agreeing with everything she's saying. All you're hearing is wah, 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 wah. Exactly. You're waiting for the opening. We walk towards the columns, and she talks about how it's crazy that it's been so long since we first got to campus because we got to Mizzou right around this time nine years ago and that second week of campus was or the second week we arrived was when we first met crazy um so we start talking about that a little bit I grab her hands and in that moment as I like grab her hands because it's not something that you just randomly do right you don't just grab her hands no not very often she she says oh my god oh my god are you proposing oh they always do that I freaked out. I lost it. I like started stumbling over all of my words. I don't I'm not at a loss for words very often. I couldn't get them out in that moment though. So I was like, uh and just went on a knee, grabbed out the ring. Did you think of calling an audible at that moment? Did you think? No, I'm not actually. uh, My hands are cold. I thought you could warm them up for me. Yeah, no. uh, In that moment, I was just trying to figure out how I get through the next minute or two. Okay. So got down on the knee, gave the quick little speech, asked her to marry me and everything. She obviously says yes. And right after that, my entire family, her entire family had been hiding behind one of the buildings. They rush out with excitement. The photographer captures all of the moment. We had a photographer that was um, set up, ready to go. We hired her for the afternoon, so got all the pictures, got everything in that that afternoon, and then went to CC City Broiler, a fantastic restaurant in Columbia, went to dinner together with all of the family, all 16 of us, ended up going to Log Boat, hanging out and uh, grabbing some drinks afterwards, and then we spent the night in Columbia at the Broadway Hotel, went up to the rooftop bar for a, a nice nightcap, and then finished off the day with a little Taco Bell. Yeah! I'll tell you why, buddy. We, um, Shannon and I were, uh, 
eagerly waiting to find out everything as it was going on, and we were very happy for you and Kara. I think that it's awesome. I'm glad that your plan came through. I know that you were nervous because it called for rain, oh, like, dude. all week long, and we were like... We were more like weathermen than anybody else watching this thing to make sure you it weren't going to get bored on. It finally turned Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon was the first time that there was not rain in the forecast for Saturday afternoon. And if it rained, I did not have a backup plan. Like, there was no, okay, it's raining, what's plan B? Because obviously you can't go to the columns, no. you can't go on the quad. I mean, you could. <laughs> it's just not the same. Yeah, you could do it in rain. Imagine me in the car telling Kara, hey, let's go for a walk in the rain over by the columns. Like, how in the hell do I get her to the quad at that point? It's over. It's game over, and I had no backup plan. But thank God, everything went smooth. Nothing ended up going... Everything went according to plan, which is stunning. How I thought coherent. for sure somebody would be late something. How coherent was the speech to her when you were down on one knee? Totally incoherent. Because the best I, part, I blacked though, out on that. Okay, but the best part, she doesn't remember either. Yeah, yeah no, she's she doesn't freaking care. out at the same time. She wants to see the ring. Now, we do have some comments and questions from the text line, okay. of course, because they're... 65780. 65780, Air Comfort Service text line. Uh, from the 636, and we talked about this in the crossover, but people want to know, did you ask Keith prior to your proposal? Yes, I did. Uh, We talked... A couple of months ago now, one night while Carol was over, uh, she ended up going for a girls' night with some of her friends, and I we live with her parents right now, so it was not hard to go downstairs and say, hey, Keith, you, you got a second. So talked to both uh, her dad and her mom simultaneously, asked them to, if, if they would give me permission to ask for Kara to marry me. Um, and they said yes. Stunningly enough, I couldn't believe it. It was a shocker for me as well. <laughs> I have a question for you guys. Not about the proposal, though. Mm-hmm. About what took place the next day. Because <laughs> I was completely unprepared for this. <laughs> completely unprepared. So Kara's sister gave her a wedding book. <laughs> oh my god! Which is like a, a planning book. <laughs> apparently, we call that the wedding bible. <laughs> Oh my! My wife still has hers. My wife still has hers too, and Mm -hmm. it's about a foot thick. Oh yeah, dude. Our wedding more or less is planned. <laughs> no, that's what you think. So here, let me. Get, I have no idea. That's let what me you give think. You a little peek behind the curtain at the Rivers House. Um, we had just finished the playoff series against the LA Kings. We swept them. 4-0. Not and a big deal. Not a big deal. When you propose. When I propose. And Joe Quenville gave us like four or five days off because he's like, there's no sense in us going nuts here. Go get away for the weekend. I said, you know what? Let's go up to Chicago. My aunt lived in Chicago, and she's the one who had the ring made up there. And she was like, she's this jewelry like f- expert, right? So when we get up there, the plan you know, goes to do whatever. And yeah. we get through the night, but the next day. Just like you're talking about. The next day, first stop was to a store, and she bought like 20 wedding magazines, dresses and flowers and arrangements. And then she brought she bought Colin Cowie. It's like some wedding planner, like crazy. So this one's from The Knot, apparently, which is a thing. Okay. Well, he has a book that he wrote about weddings. So we bought that, too. And then she created her own, like, binder. And, dude... We had four and a half hours from Chicago door to door. Just like you said, to your point, our wedding was done in four and a half hours. It was just then tweaking the details. We were sitting there like I had to pick. She's like, I'm going to have seven bridesmaids. So you're going to have to have seven groomsmen. I have 11. 11. Jesus. 11 groomsmen. I had to go make friends. 
You look like a cool dude, man. I was, like, my wedding party? I was like Paul Rudd and I love you, man. Just randomly finding dudes and be like, hey, uh, you want to be my best man? The cool, great movie, by the way. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line. I would love to have some advice for what the next year of my life is going to be. Because that's a can of worms. I don't know if you want to open BK. <laughs> I was completely unprepared for what it's, took place yesterday. It's going to feel like you're in the middle of a yeah. hurricane. Honestly, in a good way, too. You have so much stuff going on. Now, you're going to have a unique situation because we're still in a pandemic. Yeah. So this is all it's like no matter what Alex and I did. And yeah. he's a little closer to your age. And I'm obviously a grizzled old vet on this one. <laughs> But anything we did is probably not necessarily going to translate to pandemic weddings. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So there you go. So you got that going for you. Great. So we are <laughs> we are in uncharted waters in every possible way. Oh, by the way, we're hoping to buy a house at some point next spring. Oh boy. Um so cool, you is... just want to go bankrupt soon, don't you? Wedding house. Go bankrupt. Kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You say that like it's in the future, Ferrario. Yeah, stay away from the kids angle of this kids. one. Don't add the kids on top of the wedding I and mean, then the house all at once. That's Yikes. not I don't want to start any Thing. I mean, you've been together for seven years, you know. The kids got to be coming up soon. Just saying. Six five seven eight zero. You have to ask Keith's permission on that one too. Well, I wouldn't do that. I am moving right along. Six five seven eight zero. Their comfort service text line from the six one eight. There should be a listener contest to be one of BK's groomsmen. We would get no Ooh. entrance oh, for that. My gosh, that's not true, BK. That is a great you idea. You're winning over the text line. I mean, apart from like four or five of these people, you should have a contest with the text line. The best text to be your best man. Absolutely go. not. Not happening. Six five seven eight zero. Their comfort service text line. Questions and answers is coming up next. If you've got any questions, we'll try to answer them. Questions and answers is on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service tax side for questions and answers. Let's start with this one from the 636. Guys, what happens first? BK gets married or fans are back at Bush Stadium? Mm. Well, Ooh. based upon maybe some insider trading information. Um, I think we'll have not full houses, but I think there will be fans in the stands before the I do's are done for BK and Kara. I'd agree with that one. So Kara wants a, no- she has always wanted to get married in November. And obviously we are not planning a wedding in three months. So it would be next November is probably what we're looking at. Yeah. So basically the question is, are there going to be fans in the stands at some point next year? And God, I hope the answer to that question is yes for a million different reasons. But most notably, because if there is are fans in the stands next year means things have gone a little better, at least in the world. So fingers crossed that is the case. Six, five, seven, eight, zero is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the three, one, four BK. I would definitely consider being one of your groomsmen. All I need from you is to please send pics and bios of all of the bridesmaids <laughs> and their status. I like how it says and, bios too, and their relationship <laughs> status. That's actually probably the most important part. Like, yes. Skip the bio. Not worry. I'll figure out what who yeah. they are, what they're all about. Just let me know what the status is on their relationship well, yeah. first. Are they in a relationship or are they At a they wedding, not? status doesn't really matter. What's that? At a wedding, status doesn't matter. Well, I think it does. Uh, I think it does. I don't know. I th- actually, I think at a wedding, 
to me, I think at a wedding, it means more because people look at it as these two people are getting married, you know, and if they're so involved in another relationship, they don't want to feel like a scumbag necessarily. That's true. Necessarily. Alcohol now, changes a lot, Even though. Vegas loses sometimes too, right? The odds. So never Odds know. always go against the house. But I do think that knowing the status certainly narrows down the field for you. Yeah, I would yeah. say that it's an important uh Clarification. Yeah, it, it, it keeps you more laser focused. <laughs> six five seven eight zero is their comfort service tax line from the six three six. Guys, I'm a little disappointed that BK didn't hide in the closet like he hid it back in the day. Pop out and surprise her with a ring. That was my idea. That's was what you it? Should have did. Was it not? I said to you, I go. It How was. great would it be if you went back to your frat house and said, "Hey, I just want to go up in the closet," and then you have somebody send Kara up there to get something, and you're in the closet, down on one knee, ready to propose it would have been amazing but i don't think that's the backdrop that i wanted for that <laughs> would she have remembered that you did that before oh alex come on buddy alex hey, you're married know. how much does your wife forget things that you did that were bad especially horrifying moments. Oh, horrifying moments holy never do anything my bad. wife can't remember certain things but i'll tell you what she's like you know what 19 years ago you remember that day you said this i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about but you seem there pretty pissed. There are certain <laughs> flashpoints in a relationship that will never be forgotten. Me hiding in a closet <laughs> while she says, I think I'm just going to go home and us not talking for a year afterwards. <laughs> yeah, she remembers that's that incredible. a little bit. She <laughs> happens to remember that specific moment. I, I think the backdrop would have been fine. I still, in, in my dreams, that would have been <laughs> what you went with. I I don't think that would have been accepted. I, I feel like Keith would have would have asked me in the moment of me asking for her hand, right? He would have been like, no, 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 we got to redo here. This is not acceptable. Take two. Take two. Take two. He would have been like, not only are you able, not able to use my grill, but also this is unacceptable. <laughs> this is not going to happen. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Hey, BK, did you slip in a Karen during Whoa. the proposal? I, that would have been really interesting. Although I don't think we would have challenged you with that. The text no. line just doesn't want to see you have a successful engagement. Yeah, well, they're always rooting against me. Let's be honest. Well, they like the drama, right? The text line likes the drama. I love drama. Like when we watch reality TV, yeah. we're not necessarily cheering for the happiness. We're like, oh, oh, oh she cheated on him. Yeah. This is going to get good. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I love this one from the 636. I'm sure this is not an issue for you, BK, but my wife wanted a November wedding, but when my grandma said she wouldn't attend because November is hunting season, it became a <laughs> September wedding. Dude, that is real life. When a guest says they won't be able to make it, then they shift the entire wedding that's around. That's grandma. That ain't just a guest. That's grandma. Yeah, no, I'm and just grandma saying. That's like a guest hunting. of honor. And grandma, let's just isolate this. Grandma <laughs> is going hunting. That's what I got It's hunting that. season. I'm not available. Yeah. I. There was once upon a time when I would have fought about football season. I, I now know that's I just I lose. You're learning quickly. You're learning, young Jedi. <laughs> so what what do I need to know? Like if you could give me one piece of advice and six, five, seven, eight, zero is the air comfort service sex line. If you have this as well, one piece of advice that I need to know over the next 15 months about okay. this wedding situation. The one piece of advice that I can give you is if there's something the borderline stuff, like what I call it bubble material, right? So stuff you really, you're not, not that you don't care, but if she does it one way or another way, you're okay with it, right? Okay. 
don't get into those discussions unless this is something you're willing to dig your heels in on because this is it's your moment together but let's be honest here this is the bride's moment this is her super bowl Mm -hmm. of life meaning that she wants this wedding to be great and this and that and the other so unless it's something you think is just like no 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 think about it step back take a lap Come back and then just say, yes, honey, I think that's a great idea. And just roll with it. The only things that I will push back on are stuff that like just seems excessive in terms of the money that we're spending. That's pretty much it. Like even the colors, then, all of that stuff. Like what? I, I don't care. Even then, BK, be very careful how you do it. Mm-hmm. You must approach it and say, okay, here's our finances right now. Here's what they look like if we do this. Here's what they look like if we don't do this. So I know you're going to make the right decision here. I really want it to be great too, but there's got to be another way. And she'll be like, oh, you know what? Okay. Yeah. He's challenging me to get it cheaper. I'll do it cheaper. If you walk in and say, I don't have the money. She's like, guess what? We're going to figure it out. <laughs> That's 100% true. Yeah. I would say rather than wait for her to ask for help throughout this, always volunteer to help. Oh, that's a good one. My wife, she she always loved my help. Now, look, I wasn't very good at helping this, but when I would volunteer, I mean, that's 100% true. But when I would volunteer to help and she said, no, I think I'm okay. My sister and my mom's helping me. She appreciated that rather than me not doing anything. And then her saying, what the hell? You going to help me with this? Good point. Yeah. Yeah, And one thing here, too, I tell you, the great, great uh, advice from the text line 636 text line is 657-80. Don't say you don't care. Yes. Okay, we are, that's as that's guys. A great one. Okay, as guys, we I don't care. That's fine. I yeah. don't care. That's fine. She's gonna snap one day and say basically, "Am I the only one that cares right. about this?" So you got to find another way of saying okay. it. Saying new phrasing. Basically, yeah. you need to say, "Look, honey, I want you. If this makes you happy, that's fantastic. I want you to be happy about this." That basically you're saying, "I don't care because I want you," but don't say not a matter phrasing. I don't care. Yeah. I, so this is one thing. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line, and we'll be joined by Greg. Wyshynski here in just a couple of minutes of he might ESPN. have some advice too we'll ask him for sure from the 636 they say do not skimp on the quality of food and alcohol the guests will remember those two things amen so alcohol is one of the things that we will absolutely spend whatever we need to we you guys know i'm a beer guy we will have craft beer We're, we are going kegs and fine out that i'm not worried about the food's different because i i've been to plenty of weddings it all is the same, more or less. So we are actually switching it up, or our hope is to switch it up. We're going pizza and beer. Everybody likes pizza. And Can I caution you on one thing? Go for it. People dress up real nice to yeah. go to a wedding, okay? And the pizza can be problematic. I've seen it be problematic, especially with alcohol involved, <laughs> and pizza leave there, or people leave there with pizza all over them. That's fine. Okay. I just, it was a caution. <laughs> Do chicken wings. There we go. We can do wings instead. Buffalo wings. That might be problematic, too. (laughs) That might be problematic, too. Whatever. Why don't you just give them all grape juice and have them do running competitions? Oh, we could do that? The quality of the food is something that we definitely care about. But if we're going to spend money somewhere, that's probably... we, We would rather have more people be able to attend and have a higher quality of alcohol than have, like, the chicken and the steak. I'd agree with that, though. I usually, when you leave a wedding, the two things you say was the DJ wasn't great or the food was terrible. Those are the two things I feel like everyone says when they walk away from a wedding. You're going to want your wedding to turn out to be a party. 
That's yeah, what we that's, don't. The reverse wedding turned into like yeah. a, a, a shaker, like you wouldn't believe. Mine and too. people who went there felt like they were more at a frat party than they were a wedding party uh, reception, anyways. And that was the key. People had a lot of fun doing it. We went for a normal kind of dinner, uh, and then we had pizzas brought in at like 11 o'clock at night for people who were needing to soak up some booze at that point huh. and, and didn't really care maybe if they got a little sauce on the sure. shirt. So that was us. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you have any wedding advice, we will certainly be taking those today and, frankly, for the next year or so. So we can, we can get that in on the text line right now. Coming up next, Greg Wyshynski is a senior NHL writer for ESPN.com. I want to hear his perspective on the Blues and the Bruins, both finishing fourth in their round-robin format. Plus, what's his favorite NHL draft lottery subplot for tonight? We'll get into all of that with Greg Wyshynski coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and Beak. K podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside former Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Rivers and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Greg Wyshynski. He's a senior NHL writer for ESPN.com and the co-host of the Puck Soup podcast. Wyshynski, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Doing well. It's uh, it's weird not to have any hockey on the air. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but they needed a, I guess they needed a breather before getting back at it tomorrow. So it's it's a uh, it's a cool time, and obviously today all, all eyes are on the uh, the draft lottery tonight, which is going to be a heck of an event. And uh, you know I think uh, the NHL is pretty happy with uh, the amount of of fun series. Uh, both in the qualification round and uh, what's coming up next. So I do want to ask you about that NHL draft lottery. We'll get to that here in just a minute, but let's start with the results from this round robin and specifically the Blues and the Bruins, both finishing fourth in their respective round robin tournament, if you want to call it that. What did you make of the two best teams in their respective conferences from all seasons, 70 games, now becoming the worst teams in their respective hubs? What, What did you make of that result, Greg? I think in both cases, I mean, obviously you have two things, two factors at play. You have one, the, the idea that these two teams that played uh, a ton of hockey last season, um, excelled in this regular season, then had their seasons interrupted for four months and then came back. I mean, that's a lot of sort of shifting gears for two teams to kind of handle it uh, immediately right off the hop in a round robin. I also think you have a situation where these two teams approach the round robin a little bit differently than the other teams. And in the sense, they just want to kind of get their systems up and running. You know, they want to make sure all facets of their teams, uh, of the team, uh, you know, is sharp by the time they get into the round of 16, knowing that they're already going to advance the round of 16. So I think some teams approach the round robin a little bit differently than others. And it wouldn't be surprised to see two veteran teams in the Bruins and the Blues uh, know that, uh, you know, they're going to use this a little bit differently and, and know that whoever they end up facing in the next round, um, they're going to have to beat those teams anyway at some point. So you might as well just work on yourself for now. Greg, is it concerning at all to you when you watch the St. Louis Blues? And look, we know how they won the cup last year. They had great puck possession numbers. They finished a lot of checks. They were a rough and tumble team to play against. But right now in this round robin, their play is trending downward as the game goes on. And they're going to be facing a very young, very fast Vancouver Canucks team. To your point of being ready and having everything locked down and ready to go, do you think the Blues have enough runway left to be able to prepare properly for the Vancouver Canucks? 
I'm a little bit more concerned about them than I am Boston. Uh, Boston has shown an ability in the past to kind of flip the switch and become a different team when necessary. The Blues, like you said, I mean, it's it's a situation where we've seen them be good for long stretches of time and then continue to be good and get better and better. It's not so much flipping a switch on a dime. And you're right, the underlying numbers for this team are really disturbing entering this series. We do, we do see them as a, a strong puck possession team. In the three games, that's not what they did. Um, and we also see them as a team that's very good at just shutting the door on teams. And obviously one of the most disturbing trends around Robin was uh, how the Blues would end up playing in the third period of these games. So there's a lot of danger signs here. And then you, you, you bring in the fact that the Canucks have all this wind in their sails after their big opening round uh, uh, defeat of the Minnesota Wild. And not only that, beating a team that arguably is the second best defensive team in the league behind Boston and Minnesota. Um, the blues obviously are an intimidating team from a defensive front when their game is on, but the Canucks just kind of went through one of those teams to advance. And I wonder if that's not a sort of proof of concept for a, a young uh, roster that's still trying to figure out how to win. Greg, are there any trends that you've seen develop over whether it be the round robin games or the play in games? Were there any trends that you saw in particular that really you're going to be paying attention to to see if they continue as we go along here into the first round of the playoffs? Nothing too overriding as far as the league as, as a whole, but there are obviously a couple things that you're wondering about uh, as far as how they carry over. Uh, one is the ability of one line to kind of take over a series, and I think we saw that with the Carolina Hurricanes and their top line. Uh, they, they get the Bruins again, and, and I think that's going to be a much different series because of the emergence of uh, Andrei Sveshnikov on their top line, uh, who was you know good last year, but now is certainly leveled up in a way that makes their top line really formidable. And then the other trend I'm, I'm, I'm uh, <clears throat> interested in is to see exactly how far Darcy Kemper might be able to carry the Arizona Coyotes. I watched a lot of that series against the Nashville Predators, and uh, he was he was the whole ball game, man. Like <laughs> they eked out enough goals against the Preds. Uh, to advance, um, but uh, but uh, it was the Darcy Kemper show, and and it's going to be interesting to see if he's going to if he's going to be able to carry that over for another round because against the Colorado Avalanche, I mean they're going to need him to to put up a cement wall in that crease because the Avalanche are very good and very deep and much better on paper than are the uh, Coyotes. Greg, how surprising is it uh, that the Toronto Maple Leafs, Edmonton Oilers, and in particular the Pittsburgh Penguins, who quite honestly I thought were going to run a steam train right over the Montreal Canadiens, but fell way short on that one. How interesting is it that those three teams having the star power that they have on their lineup, how interesting is it they're out right now on the outside looking in? Yeah, I mean, I think part of that speaks to the unpredictability of a five-game series. You know, a lot of the coaches I've talked to in the last few weeks all said the same thing, which is that the biggest difference between a five and a seven, uh, besides obviously the, the math, <laughs> is that when you get a little bit more runway to figure out your team, uh, it's the it's the talented veteran teams that are going to be able to excel. And so, you know, if, if it had been a situation where these teams are now down, uh, you know, 3-1 or in the case of Toronto, it would have been 3-2. Um, there's no you know, guaranteeing that they can't kind of figure out their, their stuff and, and rally in that series, but they simply didn't have the runway here. Um, I think what you see is you know, one of the things that I thought we'd see entering the, the qualification round, and it kind of played out that way, are the teams with a strong defensive structure having a leg up over everybody else. And you know, when you have the Coyotes and the Islanders and the, and the Blue Jackets all advance, 
um, I, I think there's something to that in the sense that these teams might have had a leg up. I'd, I'd throw the, Hur- the Hurricanes in that mix, too. I mean, they're a team that learned last season the kind of defense they need to play to win in the playoffs. And I think they applied that in that series against a, an upstart offensive Rangers team. So the teams that had the best sort of defensive structure in a lot of these series are the ones that ended up advancing. But when you throw that into a seven-game series, it could be a, a different equation, I think. Final question that I have for you, Greg. You mentioned a lot of the teams that are now balanced out of the postseason. They're all thrown into the lottery, and one of them is going to pick first overall uh, after what happens tonight with that lottery. What's your favorite potential subplot that can come out of this? Like, Is there a team in particular that you're like, holy cow, that would be perfect? Well, first of all, we should say that, just to reset it, it's the idiot general managers that put this on themselves. They, <laughs> yes, they were all thank afraid, you, Greg. Yeah, they were all afraid of, of a, the same team winning the draft lottery and winning the Stanley Cup. The NHL wanted to hold the lottery and the draft before the season was even restarted. So anything that happens tonight where if like Alexis Lafreniere ends up playing with the uh, you know, Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby for the next 10 years. It's because the general managers just shot themselves in the foot. It was just nonsense. And the NHL had to acquiesce and make those guys happy. So as far as I put a ranking on Twitter before, as far as like who I'd like to see win, I would love to see Minnesota win. Um, I think that's a, that's a franchise that could use that boost. The biggest chaos I think would be probably either Edmonton or Toronto winning. Uh, which would just be, you know, very interesting and, and fun to watch what the reaction in hockey would be for that. Greg, okay, so we know who you would like to see get the first pick. In your opinion, who do you think the NHL wants to see get this first pick? Because in my love to see the Rangers get that pick. Yeah, they, I think they think you might be uh, you might be onto something there. The Rangers would be fine, but uh, you know, I think the I think the NHL. I mean, if if you ask them in their quieter moments what they want, it would be not not to end up with a Canadian team. Would probably be outside. Okay, let's narrow it down. Not to end up in Winnipeg. It's, it's probably what you <laughs> <laughs> good point. You think they'd be okay with him in Toronto? You, you think they'd be cool with oh that? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I think they'd be all right with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's Greg Wyshynski. You can find his work ESPN.com is where you find it. You can follow him on Twitter at Wyshynski. W Y S H Y N S K I. Greg, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us enjoy the games moving forward and enjoy the lottery tonight thank you you got it that's greg wasinski joining us here on 101 espn this has the potential to be so much fun and i oh. i truly believe tinfoil ferrario is going to be out tomorrow do you think the maple leafs are getting them i think the rangers I think there are so many possibilities of where tinfoil ferrario could come out <laughs> that it's almost the odds on favorite like if it's the rangers or toronto or edmonton or Pittsburgh, like all of those have some element of a little bit of tinfoil hat syndrome, right? So it's basically a better than 50-50 shot that a team that would feel like it's some sort of conspiracy ends up winning this thing. There's two teams that tinfoil Ferrario believes that this is coming to, and we're at it. We don't have enough time this segment to get into it, maybe later, but there's two teams. (sighs) Tinfoil tees. Tinfoil tees. There are two teams that in my eyes have a 50-50 shot at this. We'll get into that later on. Coming up next, it's time to put this idea to bed. It's not going to happen. We can go ahead and say that right now. Tell you what that is coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. To think that we were going to play tonight and then to find out late last night that the likelihood of that was not going to happen 
you know, certainly disappointing. I know everybody involved just wants to get back to baseball, but I know everybody involved too also wants to be safe. With former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. So it's time to put this idea of a 60-game season to rest. It's not happening, boys. They're not going to be able to do it. Well, they could do it if they played a triple header a couple times. Are those the same? No, but we could try, <laughs> right? No. If the Cardinals were able to start their games as scheduled currently, and they don't have any more cancellations or any more postponements, they would have to play. 55 games in 46 days just to be able to finish out their 60 game schedule. I see so much about, Hey, well, how are the Cardinals going to be able to do this? How are they going to, they're not, <laughs> they're not going to Don't be able be to so do negative, this. BK. And that's okay. It's only 55 games. Yeah, 46 days is going to be great. <laughs> I'm fine with it. If they end up playing 45 games this year, so be it. This is the hand that we've been dealt. They have played five games and missed 21. Like at some point, we just have to accept the fact that the Cardinals are not going to play their full 60 game schedule. It's going to be in inequity in the schedule. It's going to be an inequity in the standings. Mm -hmm. And we have to accept that there has to be a minimum threshold. And this is what I want to get into with you guys is where that minimum should be. But Wherever that is, Major League Baseball can set it now and say, hey, at the end of the season, we're going by winning percentage as long as you meet 40 games or 50 games or whatever it is. And from there, that's how we get to our playoff standings. But the Cardinals are not going to be able to play 60 games this year, and that's okay. Yeah, so here's here's where my head goes with this one is, one, you're 100% right. We're not going to get there. The Cardinals may not even be alone in this uh, other teams that could go through some of these things. Hopefully nobody does, but 60 games is probably going to be unattainable. That being said, the easy way to go is winning percentage, right? Unless you have a team that only plays like 25 games and their record is incredible. And now they get in the playoffs and maybe like, look at the Marlins right now. Nobody would have thought ever that the Marlins were a playoff team. Seven and three right They're now. Seven and three right now. And if the season, if you went winning percentage and let's say they stay on this roll for another 10 games, that would kind of be muddying the waters. It's not truly a playoff team. If they keep it up, in my opinion, over the course of 40 games, I think 40 games is the magic number. I think so too. But here's where I, I, I wonder how you do this, right? Because... You got the Cardinals. Let's just use the Cardinals right now. They get to 40 games, but you got the Cubs, and the Cubs get to 56 games. They've played more games, thus their winning percentage could be affected differently based upon the extra number of games. So how do you work that? You just deal with it. Everything's okay, well, weird. I understand this year. it, but you can't just say, "Oh, we just deal with it." Y- you do though, I, no, I, because I, the Cardinals and or the Cubs would be like out of their minds towards the league, saying. Our winning percentage will be much better. If you would have stopped us at game 40, our winning percentage was this much. So be it. I I hate to be the bearer of bad news. They're making everything up as they go. They decided a day before the regular season, hey, we're actually going to have eight teams in the playoff for each each league, as opposed to your typical situation with five. Like, they are making up everything, whether it be protocols, on the field, off field. They decided these doubleheaders now are seven innings instead of nine. Like, everything's different in 2020. And so if the Cardinals get to 40, let's say that that's the threshold. And I agree. I think that should be where they they set this to get to get through two thirds of your season. 
as long as you get there, you're judged in the postseason the same way anybody else is. Yeah, it's different. The games are going to count more for the Cardinals in each individual setting than it would for the Cubs or the Reds or whoever else they're going up against. And if I'm one of those teams, maybe that becomes frustrating. Eat it. That's what you have to deal with. That's that's what this season is going to be. Would you be, be saying that if the roles were reversed right yes, now? Yes, because it could hurt the Cardinals, too. That's what like I'm the saying. The Cardinals are 2-3 and three right now, and every game is going to count more. So these first three losses that they have are going to be even more valuable than any loss that the Cubs take on, right? Because they're playing potentially fewer games. So it's going to add up more in terms of the overall winning percentage at the end of the year. So it could do the reverse for them. It could actually be worse for the Cardinals that they're could playing be. fewer games than it is for the Cubs who could get up to 60. So it, it could go either way. We don't know right now. And you have to make that determination now as opposed to later on, whenever they get to that. I'll games. say this. Uh, I was listening to John Mozalak talk yesterday, and I've kind of been on those Zoom meetings every other day that he speaks. There is so much uncertainty and frustration in John Mozalak's voice and lack of sleep and lack of sleep <laughs> and concern. Because, look, he's made it very clear. He, he doesn't really care about the season right now. All he cares about are these players and the health. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, you know, the questions are still coming out there. You know, Mo, what are the 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 the, the steps that MLB have they reached out to you? He has no control over this. But from the Major League Baseball perspective, they've kind of washed their hands of this right now as well. Like they're to the point where they're basically saying, quarantine yourself, get through this this jungle, and then we'll figure out what to do from there. But the 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 only thing to me that makes sense from baseball perspective for the Cardinals is to play two-thirds of the season. Because you know everybody, even if there's another team that goes through this, they might miss 10 games, maybe five games mm-hmm. if you're lucky. They're not going to go beyond that 20-game mark. So, so what's two-thirds, Alex? Two-thirds of 60? Yeah. 40. 40. Okay. That's what I said, right? So I'm just we're all testing on the same page here. Well, we don't do math on this show. So. I, I do math. And our I listeners would appreciate us giving them the answers. <laughs> I think you Card- second-guess my math there. I saw the Damn panic it. in his eyes for a second. I think the Cardinals could still get to 50. Like, it's possible that they still get to a higher number. But what, you'd be 50 at 49 games if you started that series against Detroit? Something what like that. What if they lose all 10 games math. after 40, though? And it affects their winning percentage. Now, what if they come right. back early and then you're out for another 10 I'm games? I'm just saying, it's... it's I I'm not saying count the 40. I'm saying you have to get to at least 40 to qualify for the postseason. That's what I think you have to do. I understand. But my point here, being that guy right now in the room, is that if you get a team that just simply gets to 40, they have a great record in that 40 games. But then you have another team that had a great record after 40 games and maybe stumble a bit after that game 40 through 48, and it affects their playoff status because of it. How fair is that? Hey, Jamie, don't like it? play better that's a good point play better you can only play better in the same amount of games you can't just give a team extra games and say oh yeah you know we're gonna make you play 10 extra games and it's gonna hurt you but we don't care was it fair that 24 teams got into the nhl postseason was it fair that the blues played a round robin while these other teams got their five game series and the actual playoffs Well, actually they let the the way they organized it was pretty good they're still gonna end up with a real legit playoff is any of this fair? <laughs> the answer is no. That was what we were looking for. Survey says no. It was not fair for any of this. It's not fair that these players are going on the road right now and they're under quarantine the whole time. Like, none of this is well, fair. Well, actually, that is fair at this point. It, it all sucks. <laughs> it it's fair. not fair that we can't watch the Cardinals right now while every other team in baseball is playing on any given night. All of this is unfair. 
But that's what life is in 2020, man. And so if you're a team that's bleeping and moaning at the end of the season, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like this is this is the hand that the Cardinals were dealt. They ended up with a pandemic in, during a pandemic, having an outbreak in their own team. And so we've got to find a way for this to be able to work for everybody involved. So get to 40. Text line here. That's a good idea. I don't think it's a great idea, but I'm sure teams would is from the three, one, four. How about each team just gets to pick out their top 40 games? <laughs> <laughs> now that would be interesting. That would be one way to be able to make it work. I don't think that's the way that they're going to go, but I think this is the only, I think this is the only way forward. Cause I've heard so much talk about, well, how do you get to, you don't get the Cardinals to 60. You don't. They're not going to be able to play 60. It's it's a conversation that doesn't even need to be had anymore at this point. It's about getting the most number of games possible in and then figuring it out from there. You just got to have that minimum threshold. That's something that baseball should be talking about right now is what's the minimum number of games that a team has to play to qualify for the postseason. And then from there, you go by winning percentage. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's play a game of in or out. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. In or out is next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of in or out. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. In or out, Jamie Rivers. The NHL draft lottery is set in tinfoil Ferrario. We'll be out in full force tomorrow based on the winner of this lottery. In or out? Uh, well, tinfoil predicted the Maple Leafs, I believe, right? I'm uh, out. Rangers? Maple Leafs? I thought he said the Maple Leafs. I told you guys there were two teams. Yeah. Are we are we allowing Tinfoil Ferrario to enter the room? Yeah, because I have to know if I'm in or out. I know that you said Toronto for sure. Okay. Two teams. 50-50 yes. shot. Don't, don't give me this 12% for all of these guys. There's two teams that is going to get that pick. One is the New York Rangers. Mm. New York Rangers have Artemi Panarin. They've got some of these young guys. Chris Kreider's re-signed. Henrik Lundqvist looks like he's at the end of his career. But this team hasn't been good for a while. They need New York. They need the Big Apple market to have a good franchise-altering offensive player. Number two team, Toronto Maple Leafs. Look, Toronto, New York. You got just following your suit here. So I'm in. Riding your coattails. I'm in with There's tin no foil. riding co- coattails. This is tinfoil Ferrario here. Maple <laughs> Leafs haven't been, what, in the freaking playoffs? Going past the first round in like 16 years? Yeah. Toronto needs an, uh, another offensive weapon. Austin Matthews tried to change that on Friday night. Tried. He kept him alive. <laughs> and well, short. Then, you know, nobody else could do that. I'm so, in. Those are the two. On the tinfoil, uh, yeah, I'm in. I yeah. am too. I think this is going to be great. I know you hate this so much, Jamie, and it sounds like based on our conversation with uh, Greg Wyshynski, he's not a huge fan of it either. It just doesn't make it really from a standpoint of the way the league has been traditionally. It doesn't make much sense to give a team that's not bad, a team that's on the brink of being really, really good. Give them the first overall pick. Like, think about that. It's amazing. It's so great. I still wonder if one of those teams trades that pick. No, you don't think no, it, this is one of the best players to ever in the last in the recent history. It's one of the best number one overall picks. Let me give you a scenario. Though. Let me give you a scenario, though. Rose. Oh, you can for try cheap, cost controlled. Let me give you a scenario. Young talent. Yeah. Toronto is stacked. control for like seven years. Toronto stacked with all of these players. 
What if they trade that for an Alex Petrangelo? Or what if they trade well, that know, for a number one defenseman? Pick. What they'll do is they'll trade a player. Because this guy's younger. He's got way more runway ahead of him. And he's probably better than some of these guys are going to be. Boy, I wonder if it gets traded, though. I don't, no chance it gets traded. No chance. I'd to be me, stunned. To me, somebody will trade an active player off their roster who is probably who could be a star player in order to acquire a good defenseman uh, or go out and get a guy like that. But I think he, this player in particular, uh, other years I would say, yeah, I could see that. This player in particular, there's way too much hype surrounding him. Whoever gets him is going to party like it's New Year's Eve. This feels to me like it would be the other way around on this Ferrario. I feel like, kind of to your point, Jamie, it, let's say that it is the Maple Leafs or the, the Penguins in particular. And they're like, well, we we are going for it now. Like, this is our piece. Now we're going to add one more piece to this puzzle. And we feel like we are a championship contender right away coming up in this 2020-2021 season. Player so, at risk for the Maple Leafs if they get this pick. Matthews. Nylander. Nylander has underperformed. Would Nylander get you something more, though, than oh a God. Matthews or a Marner? Do you know how many teams offered deals for Nylander when he was going through his contract problem? It, the list was as long as my arm. But I got pretty long arms. That's true, you do. Not, I'm not really, yeah. like, I'm not dragging my knuckles by any means, but they are long. Eh, you sound like you're dragging knuckles. It's, it has happened. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort <laughs> service text line for in or out. Jamie, I don't know if you saw this earlier today, but there was some serious slander going towards the GOAT on NFL.com. Oh, shocker. NFL.com ranked the 30 best players in the NFL this season over the age of 30. Mm-hmm. You know where Tom Brady was ranked? 17th. The 17th well, that's best because player he's over in the NFL 40. over the age of 30 Where for does the he rank in the season. over 40? category uh probably in the top two well it's him <laughs> yeah. and philip rivers right <laughs> pretty Drew much Brees? Well, how, how old Brees? Brees is 40 oh, yeah. at this point so yeah so there i'm fine he's in the over 40 crowd he gets a special menu at denny's his so our card to, comes to him we go to lunch with tom brady get hey, a little yeah, discount he is yeah. sending him stuff in the mail right I'm now not, that doesn't bother he's me got his Look, arp membership tom brady 17th behind behind matt stafford Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson makes sense. Yeah, that does. That is Aaron Rodgers even makes sense. That's a trash list. Behind Stafford? And Ryan? No. Ryan blew the Super Bowl to him. Listen. In or out, Tom Brady not even a top three quarterback over the age of 30 this year. Oh, I'm out. I'm out. Are you kidding me? This guy's going to dominate down there if they actually play. Hold on. Over 30? Top three this year? Over the age of 30. Not a top three quarterback over that. the age 30. I'm, I'm out on that. You're out saying that you think he will be no, one of the top three. I thought he asked, will he be? See, this yeah. is the are we sure junk right here. Yeah, are we sure we're playing in and out? Are we sure this isn't the junk <laughs> What's drawer? the over-under on us I'll getting this right? I'll just make it the affirmative to make it easier on everybody. In or out, Tom Brady's a top three quarterback over the age of 30 this year. In. Out. In. Out. In. Out. Out. In. Tom Brady's not going to be a top three quarterback dement- over the age 30 this year. You guys are demented. Out. When when he wins the, the division, the coming, Jamie. When the they win the division, have you seen Gronk? Hey, Gronk looks like he's in great he shape. He does look really good. Too I'm bad, telling you, two bad games, and G- Giselle's just going to say, "Tom, call it a career, buddy." No, Giselle's going to be like, "You know what, Tom? Let's go out on top here, baby. Let's do this thing called football." So, speaking of stu- superstars, Draymond Green, his team's at home. They're not playing right now. But he is on television nonetheless. <laughs> Why is he on TV first? Continue. So he was on Inside the NBA because he's he's going to be Shaq moving forward. Chuck, he's going to replace one of those guys within the next 10, 15 years. Could he's going Kenny. to be on that show. Yeah, somebody. Oh, yeah, Kenny's got to go. It, 
He's too. I don't know. I, I don't like know. Kenny. They, ah. don't, they don't get rid of Shaq or Chuck. No, you get also the Charles show. has talked about retiring for a while yeah, now. Yeah, he uses that all the time for contract negotiations. <laughs> true. That's terrible. <laughs> Touche. That's terrible. <laughs> so Draymond's going to be on that show eventually. He was on it over the weekend. Ferrario, I don't know if you have this audio, yeah. but Draymond Green, in or out, Jamie. We'll listen to this audio here in just a second. In or out, he's going to get his money's worth from this comment that he made on Inside the NBA over the weekend. It's great to see Book playing well and Phoenix playing well, but get my man out of Phoenix. It's, it's not good for him. It's not good for his career. Sorry, Chuck, but uh, wow. they got to get Book out of Phoenix. I need my man to go somewhere where he can play great basketball all the time and win because he's that type of player. Are you tampering? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> he was fined $50,000 as a result. It's trash. And it is, but listen, he's okay. trying to get Devin Booker out of Phoenix. It wasn't okay. even tampering. Hold on a second. It definitely is. <laughs> this is where I have a problem with the NBA. If you don't want this sort of thing to happen, don't put your active players Thank on you. TV. Thank like, you. Because he was just telling the truth. He how, really was. How is this tampering when all he said was, this guy needs to get out of this well, city? And he's doing the nudge, nudge, wink, wink. He needs to go somewhere. Like, he's kind of alluding to the fact that he would look good on a team like Draymond Green's yeah, but he team. he didn't tweet this out from his account saying, hey, Devin, come to Golden State and play with us. We right. know what the what he's implying We this. know. But you run the risk. You put these guys right. on TV. Sure. If you're putting them on TV, you have to almost say, you know what? We're going to take the fines off the table because... Because we want this to be good TV. You want them on it. Especially right now with no fans and not much. You want the product itself to be worth watching. Yeah. You take off the handcuffs and you let this guy go. Yeah. That was trash to me. Yeah. It really trash was. Trash NBA. I'm in. He got his money's worth. That's exactly the message that he wanted to send. He's saying, hey, Devin Booker, you want to win, you know where to come. Golden State's always an opportunity for you. So does Devin Booker now have to pay him back the 50 grand when he signs there? 50 grand is nothing for either of those guys. Well, I'll tell you what, so, the 50 grand will go a long way with your wedding, BK. I'd take 50 See? grand. See, Certainly. all of a sudden, eh, Alex? All of a sudden, 50 grand's important. That was that was tampering, Ribs. A little bit. It was <laughs> tampering. And also, it's exactly what Draymond wanted to do. He's out there saying, I would love to see Devin Booker out here in Golden State. Now, he did so a little bit more less heavy-handed than that. Yeah, he, he did try to make it more very, less, like, in passing. But did they ask him? Palatable. Did Was this just him coming out with this, or yes. did they ask him, you know, what did you think of Booker? <laughs> they asked him, what did you think of Booker's play today? Right, and this he was his gotta response. Get him out gotta of get him out of there. He's on a terrible team. Yes, and he's That's good not a team. I like it. I say it all the time with players. Get them out of there. By the way, 636 on the text line. Thank you for recognizing my humor with that Giselle and Tom joke at the end there. Thank you. Yeah, I got it. The on top part. Finish on top. Yeah, I got it. BK's on the dish. First place, Alex, is what I'm talking about. First place. Yeah. Wanted to double down on that one. I wanted to recognize. I wanted to acknowledge it, and I don't want to be typing on my keyboard while you're talking because you get angry and you pout. Does do that. Wow. You hold your breath. I see it that. happen sometimes. I think there are some people that would like me to hold it a little bit longer <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> For Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. A big decision is coming in college football. The president has now weighed in. We'll discuss all of the latest coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
the Big Ten and Pac-12 will cancel their football seasons tomorrow. The ACC and the Big 12 are on the fence. The SEC is trying to get a delay to have teams join them. The SEC is looking at exclusive TV contracts. So once again, then I followed up with my source and I said, so the Big 10 and Pac-12 canceled tomorrow. That's what I'm told this morning. Three Big 10 teams that I've spoken with said it's done. That was Dan Patrick on the Dan Patrick show earlier today, talking about what is about to take place with the Big Ten, what's about to take place with college football as a whole. There are now conflicting reports. Earlier today, it was, hey, the Big Ten is done. They have officially called it. It is over for them. Now, a new report moments ago, the Big Ten presidents are scheduled to meet again today on a call at 5 o'clock Central Time when they will make their final decision on the football season. So, As of right now, this very moment, officially no decision has been made for the Big Ten, but it seems like everything is leaning that direction of the Big Ten going ahead and either postponing or canceling this football season. The question then becomes what that means for the rest of the Power Five conferences. The Pac-12, based on all reports, appears to be following the Big Ten's guidelines. They're going to probably end up following suit, canceling their season as well. The SEC... The ACC and the Big 12, they're out here like, eh, nothing to see there. We're, we're going to power through this, boys. <laughs> the SEC in particular is like, eh, we're definitely going to find a way to make this thing happen. Where do you think this goes from here, Jamie? Oh, man, this is tough. You know, look at, uh, and I've been thinking about this, well, since the, the beginning of this discussion of college football, college sports for that matter, but in particular football, because that's the cash cow. For the NCAA, certainly the the March Madness is another one, but that's further down the line. It's not affected just yet. But college football is a huge breadwinner for a lot of these schools. And I just don't know how you do this. How do you how do you have some colleges that they're supposed to be students? Right. And I think this is where the line gets blurred. And I think this is what college football is actually dreading. The NCAA is dreading this scenario of. At the end of this, determining that these these football players, these athletes, have become essential workers, right? Mm-hmm. And once that happens, then guess what? You got to pay them. Yep. They are no longer amateurs. They're employees of the college, pretty much, or of the NCAA, and they need to have compensation because they're being asked to work slash play during this crazy pandemic. And you have you know some colleges that are going with half capacity some colleges have a rotating class schedule where half the class will show up on monday the other half show up on wednesday and then vice versa where they're doing online i just don't know how you in good faith or in good conscience rather have students that are being asked to be super super careful and then you have college football and then how do you entangle college football with college life College life, let's be honest, it's about socializing. It really is. Yes, you go to get an education, and I never went to college, but I do know a lot of people that have gone. And one thing they say is it wasn't just about the school, the experience of living my life in college. The difference between my education at Mizzou and Ferrario's at Lindenwood was slim to none. Like, I had opportunities at Mizzou because I was in the J school there, and they have things that are available to you in their specific J school that are not available everywhere. There was a student radio station, student newspaper, all of these different things. But that, like, the the actual education itself, the curriculum, wasn't all that different than anything Ferrario learned at Lindenwood. 
The difference was I was living on campus in Columbia, which is a college town, whereas Lindenwood is in St. Charles. And so that's that's where the difference comes in. And that's what I wanted My, for me. What I wanted in college was to have that experience. And so that's what you're talking about, Jamie. Yeah. And these kids that are there now, whether they're football players or going to school in the pre-med program, they're there for that as well. They don't want to miss out on that. Well, They've they got a party. Years. They want to do their thing. They want to meet their significant other. Look at you met Kara uh-huh. at college. Imagine if you're social distance at a party <laughs> and you weren't allowed to go to parties or I know bars, you know, hey, there's a blurred line there somewhere. <laughs> but all I'm saying is that that's a huge part of it. So how do you th- how do you manage all this? And then you don't think the football team is going to want to be a regular student and what that encompasses is enjoying some of the social life, but then they're dragging that back into the football bubble. I just don't know how this works, gentlemen. And I don't even think it's about that. Like, I think all, every concern that you just suggested is, is absolutely fair. And it is something that they would have to overcome to be able to play a football season. I don't think that's why we're seeing cancellations though. I think this has everything to do with what you started with and less to do with the health and safety part of it. I think when college football players put out on Twitter the we are united Mm -hmm. and now it has turned into the hashtag we want to play and the idea, this is not technically a union, but the idea of players basically not being in a union, but um, collaborating with one another, we'll call it. Yeah. That scared the hell out of university presidents and athletic directors. When they saw this, suddenly things shifted. You saw it quickly because on Friday, whenever we saw the we want to play, the we are united start to bubble up. That's when we heard the first signs of eh, college football season might not be around the corner. <laughs> Can you imagine COVID didn't change? This is what changed. Can you imagine the panic going through the NCAA and all of the conference presidents as they look at this and go, hey, wait a minute. If all these student athletes bond together and get this, this is problematic to say the least. College football chose the future of the sport over the present. That's what's happening right now. What we are seeing is these universities, these presidents, these athletic directors saying to themselves, we can either play this football season and change the foundation of what our sport is, what college athletics is by deciding that these guys are employees, because that's basically what this would require. Or we can put off this season, keep this structure in place, this fundamental ideal that we have so uh, highly regarded in college sports. We can keep that in place, but we got to get rid of this season. But in the future, we still have the ideal that is college sports there. And I think that's what they're holding on to. Let me ask you this. And Ferrario, you can chime in on this as well, because I really I don't know the answer to this. But can these schools financially withstand not having income for these for like some of these schools? Everything's built around the football or whatever their big athletic program is. And when you come to football, it's billions of dollars, right? Some of these schools are not going to be able to sustain that. Am I way off on this? No, but the Pac-12 has already filed for like these these huge mm-hmm. debt programs. So they're going to have these loans that are, I'm assuming they're hoping, forgiven eventually. But 
that's that's how they're handling this right now. I don't know. There will be some schools that come out of this with huge, huge problems. Do you think there'll be programs that disappear? Yes. Yeah, those yes. smaller conferences, I think you'll see those conferences what about and a teams bigger disappear. Conference. What about a team in a bigger conference that's not one of the big dogs in the conference? Football won't go away because it's what makes them money. What will go away yeah, but is if they the miss other out on all this and they're still paying for all the scholarships and everything that well, goes on. A lot on. of those big ones, too, correct me if I'm wrong here, BK, they have a lot of alums that put a lot of money into the organization Football's in terms of maker. sports. Friends of the program. Yeah. yeah. Football's the moneymaker for all of these universities. The only other sport that for most of them even comes close to breaking even is basketball. basketball. And then in some of these SEC schools, there were a couple that get close on baseball. And that's it. Every other sport costs them money to have. And mm-hmm. so you could see uh, some of these places have water polo or golf or tennis, whatever it is, soccer. The other sports that are costing them money to be able to continue to play, those are the ones that will go away. Hell, even yeah. hockey, too. I mean, a lot of hockey aren't a part like their their side athletics with some universities. So you could see hockey get hit also. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you look at Arizona State. They, yeah. They've got a great hockey program, but at the end of the day, it's not the moneymaker for them. Right. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, some of these schools are actually going to save money by not having to pay the athletes under the table this season. <laughs> well played, 314. Great well played. <laughs> I think they would love to be able to have that opportunity this year, though. To be able to have those athletes back on the field, the amount of money that these teams potentially are losing out on is just absurd. So let me ask you this. I just saw it on the TV and studio here, and you brought it up uh, in the tease, is the president, Donald Trump. He just put out a tweet saying these student-athletes have worked too hard to allow their season to be canceled. Let me toss this at you, and it's not any political stance at all, but does the president of the United States, do you think his opinion actually matters when it comes to this stuff? No. No, because he has no idea the Poli- finances involved and political leaders are getting involved. We saw in Nebraska, one of their senators sent a letter to the university president saying, hey, don't do this. Please don't cancel the Big Ten season. I, they'll try everything that they can to to become involved and to make public statements that look good for their fans. But no, I, I think this is going to come down to the administrators. It's going to come down to hopefully the public health experts. I don't know how much they're being listened to in all of these discussions. I, I think it comes down to essentially when the when the players put the we are united stance out there. I think that basically ended all hope for a few of these yeah, conferences. I would agree with Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer coming up next. We're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Jamie, we had a story a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, about the bear that entered a man's house. Yes. And he then owned that house. He was that that was his house at that point. But the man decided to fight him and he, he got him out. I hey. I would have handed over the keys. Gotta give him house. props though. You gotta like it. It's not always whether you win or lose, it's whether you show up, BK. So we have a new story. This comes from the National Park Service. They have recommendations on what to do if or when you are encountered by a bear. And did you know there are different recommendations depending upon the type the of, species bear of bear yeah. that you see? Yes. Well, they put this out. Quote, do not climb a tree. Both grizzly and black bears can climb trees. Do not push down a slower friend, even if you think that friendship has run a course. 
Stay calm. Remember that most bears do not want to attack you. They usually just want to be left alone, don't we all? They then continued. If you are attacked by a brown or a grizzly bear, leave your backpack on and play dead by laying flat on your stomach with your hands on your neck and your legs spread apart. Mm-hmm. If you are being attacked by a black bear, though, do not play dead. Instead, try to escape to a secure place, or if you can't, fight back by using any or all available objects. Yes. H- hang on. The black bear, black good, bear gets good luck. The black bear gets startled. The biggest thing is you want to hit it right in the snout if you can. I know that's a tall task when you're sitting there and you're nice getting pun. attacked, right? Nice pun. But you want to try and wake them up a little bit because they get a little unsure if you fight back and they're like, hey, maybe this ain't worth it. But the grizzly bear night, do you know why you put your hands around the back of your neck? Because that's uh, where they like to bite down. Good. So you are sacrificing your hands in that moment and you keep the backpack on. Why? It's the easiest thing for him to grab. And now he'll shake that backpack, realize it's not food, and will hopefully just move on to something better. Are we really just going to gloss over the second point that you made, BK? Which Can you read it? it again? Which part the are you talking about? safety instructions, the things that you're not supposed to do. You read one, read number do two. Do not climb a tree. Both grizzly and black bears can climb trees. Do not push down a slower friend, even if you think that friendship has run its course. I think that's actually... They put that in there because people do that. Of course they do. <laughs> of course, if, if I'm looking over at you and I can run faster than you, Which you're going down. Which one of the down. three of us do you think gets pushed? I feel like it's me. Well, the slower of the three of us probably is going to be me. Rivers I, is on the ice 24-7 and you run. I feel you like guys can try and push me down. Yeah, so, well, we know Jamie yeah. is out on this one. <laughs> you're the meteor of the three of us, though. I so am. you're you're the you're the main course. If it's a black bear, I'm not afraid to step up. I'll throw down with the black bear. Okay, so we're pushing. <laughs> you may have to come and collect the we're, body parts. We're pushing rivers over. Yeah, then. but the grizzly bear, one of you guys is getting thrown down. I love the idea that their their recommendation is basically, hey, if you, if you see a black bear, yeah, good luck, man. It's all on you at that point. It is. Just, like, just good says, luck. Fight or flight, man. Don't push a friend over if he's slow. <laughs> you trip him. You're like, hey, look at that. Anyways, look at talking about things that aren't good. Okay, Cleveland There's Indians. A lot of that right now. Cleveland Indians oh. have a not good situation, and I'll, I'll read you what has happened here. Uh, Zach Plesak. Yes. I believe that's how you say his name. Well, he decided that while in Chicago, yeah, he was going to go leave the hotel, leave the bubble, the quarantine, whatever you want to call it, to go out, hang with some friends during a series with the White Sox. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? right. Like, the Marlins aren't suffering. The Cardinals aren't suffering. This Rona, it can't do anything to good old Zach. Well, the team felt differently about that, and they said, uh, you're gone. We're sending you home. And he said, okay, well, I guess we'll just get back on the plane. And, you know, and they said, no, 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 no. You, my friend, are not going back on the plane. You are going to rent a car on your own and you will drive back to Cleveland and you will serve your quarantine. What an idiot. <laughs> I believe that that was the start of the team meeting from the Cleveland Indians at the time. But, yeah, can you imagine, guys? Let, let's try to put ourselves in Zach's What do you position. think he went out to do? Well, he went to hang with friends. He went to get banged up. He let's went to, go. Whoa. Well, banged up. Drunk. Like in a fight? Mm, oh. Maybe. maybe he not. went to get some Lou Will's uh, Magic Wings. Magic City. That's a long right. trip, though. That's in Atlanta. Either uh, way, figured. listen to me for a second. 
How do you do that when you got the Marlins that just sacrificed, what, 10 days of their schedule? The Cardinals that we don't even know when they're going to be back at this point. And Zach just couldn't help himself. Because he's an idiot. And it's a problem with the way things are going. Hey, man, chicken wings are life. But imagine this. Imagine if he didn't get caught. It would have been a serious problem. It is. A serious problem. And this is, so he's, he went to Ball State University in Indiana I wonder if he had some friends that were in town in Chicago to go friends. see him pitch or whatever, right? Good friends would have said, uh-uh, buddy, you don't need to do this. Well, he's 25 years old, didn't make a great decision here, obviously. I'm just wondering, like, what what was it that he was like, I have to do this in Chicago. I have to do this while I'm here. While we are out in town, I've got to do this yeah, with my pizza. buddy. This is so important to me, right? Well, I'll tell you what's going to be tough for him. When he gets back in the clubhouse and Shane Bieber, one of his teammates, weighed in on it. And he says, uh, quote, we love Zach. We support him, but he screwed up. We're going to handle this in-house and we'll see where it goes from there. So my question to you guys is um, we've all seen in the military and certainly in the movies where they put the, the bar of soap down on the bottom of the sock. Yeah. And then they hold a guy down with the bed sheet and everybody Just beats beat the, the guy with the them. bar of soap. Yep. Do you think that's coming for it's, Zach? It sounded like busted kneecaps. It sounded like an Italian thing. Like, hey, I we're going to handle this in-house. Here's my visual. Zach gets into the team facility when all his quarantine is done, and he lays down for that massage. And as soon as he does, just four guys city. come in with the bed sheet over him, hold it down, and guys just take turns running through the bar. So could waterboard him. <laughs> what? That, well, pretty, pretty sure that's frowned upon. Oh, that's, is that frowned upon? Well, I'm pretty sure they're both frowned upon. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's even more frowned upon. Yours is... What, you just stop before he has happened before? It's an will option. happen again? I mean, it's an option. Waterboarding's happened before, right? It has, but we, we you just got to stop before you see the chest stop breathing. Point is, guys, what a It'll donkey. It'll be handled. What a donkey. Donkey, indeed. I wonder if he was at the Smash Mouth concert. I wonder if that's what he decided <laughs> to do. Nobody ever. <laughs> I can't even believe Smash Mouth had a problem with too many people there. Thousands of fans <laughs> gathered in Sturgis, South Dakota over the weekend. Oh, my God. Hey, Sturgis. They're an all-star. The Harley Rally, the whole bike week. They had 250 people. Is that there? 250,000 yeah, people in Sturgis. If, I don't know if bikers are going to uh, a Smash Mouth concert. Well, apparently they did. They're going oh. to Sturgis. It's a 10-day festival, and Smash, Mouth, Smash Mouth's frontman, Steve Harwell, told the crowd, we're all here together tonight. Bleep that COVID bleep. Way to go, Steve. You're a hero. I don't even know what to say. At You're a hero. Point. I don't even know what to say. The whole thing. Sturgis is like, ah, oh, we're doing this anyways. Yeah. Bike week takes a back loser to nobody. Maybe that's where please Zach was on his way. He was on his way it's, to go to the Smash Mouth concert. He was willing to risk it all for Smash hey, Mouth. He wants to be an all-star. That's quite. He sure does. But yeah, uh, you got it, BK. You got it. What's the biggest issue facing the Blues right now? They've got a lot of them. We'll discuss the number one problem, though, coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Well, I don't think that we're playing very well in the third period. That's one thing. We didn't make one play here tonight again. I didn't think we played any plays in the other two games in the third period either. We're, we're just, we're, we're almost trying to win... You know, with a one 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 goal lead, we're not trying to go out and get the next goal. We're not playing aggressive enough, in my opinion. You know, again, if you don't make plays, you just give the puck back to the other team. It, you know, chances are they're going to get a goal. 
With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Craig Berube after the game last night talking about the team's struggles in the third period in this round robin. And Jamie, it feels to me, and we've been talking about this a lot, but it feels to me that there is one systemic issue right now for the Blues. Well, that's a big word. That is, it, everything else is a symptom of that of that umbrella cause. And the issue is they're not in shape. They're just not in game shape right now. Game shape, yeah. And if you're not in game shape, well, actually, this is... Actually, I'm going to dive one layer deeper on that Please. as you continue. They're not in Blues game shape. And when you have that issue, now you've got the penalties that become a problem. As you get deeper into the games, we have things like what he was talking, what Barubi was talking about after the game, where they they're just not creating opportunities. The forecheck becomes an issue. Defensively, you're out of your zones. All of these things start compiling upon each other because of that root cause. The root cause for all of these things is their lack of blues game shape, and everything else is a symptom of that cause. Yeah. I mean, it's evident, okay? And look, here's where I get concerned, and I'm not panicking. I'm angry because I care about this team, and, you know, like I said before, I want them to win. I don't want them to lose ever, not even exhibition games. But here's what you, I guess the angle you have to take if you're the Blues coaching staff is, guys, yeah, it wasn't a Picasso here in this round robin. However... We're treating them as exhibition games. We've seen some people around the league come out with that. Brad Marchand talked about that in Boston. Keith Jones uh, talking about the Blues saying that Craig Berube has to let it be known that these are like three exhibition games. Here's the problem with that, though. If you're a player, a very intelligent hockey player, and you just went out there and emptied the tanks for three games straight to where you're going home and you're like a big pile of slobber on your pillow because you're so dang tired you can't even function, that theory doesn't apply because these guys are going, wait a minute, if that was supposed to be an exhibition game, why am I so out of gas? Why am I so tired right now? Because I didn't actually have any more to give. And so that concerns me from a game blues game shape standpoint. Looking forward, they have what, today and tomorrow? to run a practice. I know they're on the ice today. It's going to be a light walkthrough, certainly a lot of video maintenance, this, that, the other. They have tomorrow to kind of ramp it up. But, guys, the runway is gone. Those days of practicing hard and, you know, building the conditioning within the drill, those are gone. They're gone because you're not going to have a chance anymore to do that because any practice you get, you're going to be looking to rest your big horses. You're going to be looking to just have a walkthrough. You don't get to put the pedal to the metal in practice anymore if you're Craig Berube. So this is where I think the Blues' depth as an organization will have to be used. I think that Craig Berube is going to have to look outside the box here, and if a player on a certain line is not doing well and you have a younger set of legs or another set of legs that's faster and more able to do it, he's going to have to be willing to shift that over. I don't think any coach right now can be so set in their ways that they compromise the outcome of the games because they want to stick with their guys. To me, Craig Berube is that coach that will change. He did it last year in the playoffs at very crucial times. He switched lines, just tweaked them, switched pairings, just tweaked them, did his thing, and it seemed to work out, and the players don't question him. When you when you say that, though, I would imagine, because you don't just randomly say things, I would imagine you have something in the back of your mind. What, what do you think should or could be changed? I personally, right now, I think that Braden Shen 
his life should be simplified right now. I think that he should find his way to the wing. And it'll take away that end-to-end-to-end. That 200-foot game is not required then. Yes, wingers come down, they play low, and they do their thing. But overall, in the course of a game, they take less steps than a centerman does. I would take Robert Thomas and plop him right on that top line with Vladimir Tarasenko and Braden Shen. I think the speed that Robert Thomas has will benefit that line. And in all honesty, guys, last night, Vladdy Tarasenko looked fast. He was back checking. He had the legs going. He pulled. Did you a- see that move in overtime? Well, he pulled away from Klingberg yeah. on that. Got to the so he to me is showing that burst of speed. Put that with Robert Thomas, who by the way was all over the ice last night, and you throw in a player like Braden Shen, who is a meat and potatoes guy, who still is going to get in there and run a guy through the boards and get the puck back for you. I think this is the move that Craig Berube has to contemplate making. Um, is it a panic move? No, I don't think so. But it allows Braden Shen to get a little more of that Blues game shape into his legs before you try to move him back to center. And it might ignite some offense for the St. Louis Blues. It's interesting you mentioned that because earlier today we had Greg Wyshynski of ESPN.com on the show. And he was talking about how some of the teams across the league, one of the things that he's been paying attention to, one of the trends is a top line, one specific line that has just been dominating a series or at least has the potential to do so. Here's what he said earlier today, and I want to apply it to what you were just talking about with Robert Thomas. The ability of one line to kind of take over a series, and I think we saw that with the Carolina Hurricanes and their top line. Uh, they, they get the Bruins again, and, and I think that's going to be a much different series because of the emergence of uh, Andrei Svechnikov on their top line, uh, who was you know good last year, but now is certainly leveled up in a way that makes their top line really formidable. Right now, the Blues don't have that line. Now, they have the potential for that on that top line. Schwartz, Shin, and Tarasenko have been that before. They could be that again, but they don't look that way right now. If you move Thomas, who yesterday, Keith Kachuk said, was the Blues' best player on the ice, if you move him up to that top line and you have him centering Shin and Tarasenko, that has that kind of capability. Those three together have the potential to carry you in this first round series when the rest of your team just isn't in blues game shape yet. You have the goaltending to do it. That line could potentially carry you. And now you've got the building of, okay, we're finding a way to get through this first round series while we otherwise find our game. And then we've bought ourselves enough time to get back to playing blues hockey for the second round. Is that what you have in mind as, you, as you're mentioning it? It is. And I, there's also some other scenarios that could present themselves that are just very, very small moves. But I think the blues could benefit tremendously um, is keeping Schwartz on left wing with Thomas and Tarasenko. That's a whole lot of buzz factor out there. Taking Braden Shen, letting him continue to find his game because sometimes for the physical guys, it takes a little bit longer and you could drop him to the O'Reilly Perron line on left wing. Take Zach Sanford, plop him down to the third line. Bozak goes back to the middle. You have two young guns on the wings chasing down pucks. Bozak, your most responsible forward on that line, can play both ends of the ice. So there's lots of things that Craig Berube can manipulate in the lineup here. Uh, Oscar Sundquist is a, a staple. He stays in the lineup no matter what. Uh, I do like what Troy Brower has brought to the table. I do get concerned a little bit of team speed the longer we leave him in there. Mackenzie McEachern has tremendous speed. Don't know if he's ready for the big stage yet of the playoffs. Alexander Steen, he's got to be in your lineup. He is your Swiss Army knife. He plays anything you need him to do, and he's always on the ice last minute of the game, whether you're ahead or behind. 
uh, and he's a tremendous leader. So to me, those are some subtle changes you can make to try and spark your team. And nothing has to be full time here. It doesn't have to be forever. But I think if you need a jolt right now, to me, that's how you jolt your team. The jolt, definitely. For, for me, I feel like leadership is going to help this team moving forward. And we've talked a lot about game shape, but I send this on the pregame show. Um, Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford said that they had the team meeting when they had that off day. And I know people oh. hear team meeting and they think, oh, geez, things are things are horrible right now. Panic. I know, but. I didn't love hearing it. I got to be honest with you. It was the first time that I got more like real concern. But the phrase now with the Blues, they had that team meeting last year, and it ended up being the best thing they ever. Well, had. in the phrase team meeting, he elaborated, just saying it's like, look, the leadership just wanted to sit everyone down and talk about what's missing from our game. And I went back and looked through my notes at the beginning of the season this year in October. The Blues had that team meeting. They were o two and two in a stretch from the twelfth to the nineteenth. Things weren't good for them. They had their team meeting that they're talking about where really joey said it's just players being able to be honest with each other rather than feel like you have yeah. to have coach talk around your you coaches take the fluff out of it but when they went that team meeting in october they won nine of their next 10 games and that started that eight game win streak for well, them unfortunately we we saw the results on sunday well but <laughs> that's know? still one game that's still one game and to me when you get into a stretch of games that matter when it's elimination hockey and your leaders take over that's where i feel like advantage is going to go for the blues the jolts won- needed i have one issue with this because I I don't think it's a mindset thing so much for them right now like may, maybe it's it a is. bit of all of it actually uh, yeah I feel it's like a it's combination a combination of, of all of it built together the the physical side of it the, the lack of energy creates a little bit of doubt mentally it all goes hand in hand it's connected 100% but a lot of the issues that we're seeing on the ice right now are tangible like you can see where it's coming from and it appears to be what we've been talking about the whole time the lack of being in blues game shape mm-hmm. And if that is the root issue, it it can be both. It can be all of the above, right? But if we're doing a tier ranking of what the biggest issue is for them, I don't think it's the mindset. I don't think it is the we weren't trying hard enough. I think they're trying hard out there. I think they're competing. It just hasn't shown in the results. And it just seems to me like it's always this easy excuse whenever a team's not playing well. Well, it's the effort. Well, it's the intensity level. Eh, maybe it is. But I think it's also they're not in Blues game shape yet. And I think that's the biggest issue. But isn't that fighting. the other gear mentally that they got to get to? Yeah, they do. And it, look, it, here's what I say from time to time to teams that run into this problem is they're trying to drive an eight cylinder vehicle but they only have a six-cylinder under the hood. And, you know, how much can you possibly do? Well, you got the pedal to the metal, but it only goes so fast. Now, leading forward, these players are going to have to figure it out. And maybe maybe they change a few things. Maybe they alter their game plan just a little bit to suit what they're doing. But for me, guys, the one thing that I look at in this, and, and I'm watching the team in their demeanor and their on-ice demeanor, how much are they missing a guy like Pat Maroon? Right now. And look at, I know the big rig, you talk, people are going to be like, well, you're talking about team speed. Patty Maroon wasn't fast. You're right. He wasn't fast. But what I'm talking about is actually lies more into what he did psychologically for the team. There wasn't a guy in the league that he wasn't able to stand up to. Heck, he, I think he leads in number of fights against Zidane Ochara, yeah. right? And he's not afraid to get involved physically. And the number one thing was Pat Maroon was able to keep the locker room light. Yep. Hit a great sense of humor. The big rig, very beloved by his teammates. Are they missing that guy right now? Let's just say Pat Maroon would be great, but that type of guy right now to 
lighten the load a little bit. Be like, you know what? We're not. This isn't terrible. We're going to be okay. Oh, and look, Patty Maroon just grabbed a guy in the first period and beat the snot out of him. He's, you know, he's prevented his own team from dipping their heads when things go bad. And, and I mean, you saw that against the Boston Bruins when you get blown out and he's the guy skating past the bench saying you guys are effed. Like, that's Pat Maroon. And I'll say this from talking with people with the Tampa Bay Lightning, he's changed the dynamic of that locker room. I mean, th- that's a team that was swept in the first round after having, what, 110 points last mm-hmm. year he's made things light to where they don't have Victor Hetman or Steven Stamkos but they don't feel like they're out of hockey games you're going to miss that in this round against Vancouver I think I agree and the one last thing that I'm going to squeeze in there guys and this was the teaser I laid out in the very first segment today I said the Blues have to make Craig Berube has to make one change Put the suits back on, boys. Amen. Put the suits back on. 0-4 without them. The quarter zips were nice. You guys look snazzy. Steve Ott, you look fantastic. Love it. The blue especially, great. But it's time to put the suits back on. You know why, guys? It's time to do business. Damn right. Let's take care of some college football business with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. He's going to join us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Adam Rittenberg. He's a senior college football writer for ESPN.com. He has certainly been busy over the weekend leading into today, trying to chase all these stories about what the future holds for college football this year. And let's start with that, Adam. Thanks for hopping on with us today. What is the latest that you can tell us about what's going on with the Big Ten and whether or not they're going to play this season? Right. Well, there there hasn't been a vote, an official vote yet, according to the league. I know there's been some reports out there. People classify votes in different ways. You know, we reported at ESPN on Sunday that the large majority of Big Ten presidents are likely to postpone the season if if, if a formal vote has taken place. And that could happen as early as later today, um, trying to nail down whether there is, in fact, a president's meeting. I, I was told by one source that there will be one um, later on today and that the vote would, would probably take place at that time. And so, you know, again, it doesn't look good as far as the Big Ten fall season. I think the presidents have uh, you know, heard from Commissioner Kevin Warren quite a bit. They've heard from their medical experts about your know, long-term effects of COVID-19 and the, just the uh, concerns about, about having a competition safely without the chance for a lot of people to get it that, that uh, you know, that may, maybe wouldn't get it otherwise. And so uh, we'll see how that affects other conferences. I think the Big Ten would prefer not to be alone in this, um, but uh, I, I don't think that will necessarily stop them from, from being the first to announce that they've postponed fall sports. A lot of eyes are also on the Pac-12. They have their president's meeting on Tuesday. We're not expecting a decision before that meeting. The Pac-12 president is also hearing from their medical uh, advisory team around uh, the same types of issues the Big Ten's discussed. So those two leagues typically go together on big things like this, but doesn't necessarily mean they will with such a, a big, big decision like like postponing the fall season. Yeah, Adam, that's where I wanted to go with this next is, you know, these different conferences, whether they postpone the season or not. But the big one, as we all know, the big one for me anyways, is the SEC. How, what is it going to take, depending on these votes, for the SEC to actually consider postponing a season and is it possible at all that the SEC ends up being one of if not the only conference that plays football this year yeah 
I guess it's possible. Um, you know, anything's possible, especially with the the, the, po- the political realm. And obviously, you guys have probably seen the, the president's tweets earlier today supporting you know the idea of playing college football this fall. And you know, I, I think it, it just it's more political in the SEC uh, to decide not to play. It would be a very difficult decision, like it is for every conference, but especially in that part of the country. Um, you know, Greg Sankey, the commissioner, has been pretty consistent in, in not wanting to make any decisions before he absolutely has to. And, you know, the SEC put out a schedule model and a preseason practice plan that's designed to buy more time. Um, so it would be interesting to see how the reaction is, if there is a reaction, uh, to the Big Ten and the Pac-12 uh, possibly postponing in the next uh, 24 hours or so. How would the SEC uh, re- kind of react to that? Because ultimately – uh, you know, Nick Saban's important, and uh, these other coaches are important, and the ADs are important, but it's a presidential decision. And if the SEC presidents see their colleagues in the Big Ten, their colleagues in the Pac-12, you know, saying one thing, are they going to want to dig in and put, push forward towards the season? You know, some might, some might not. Uh, but I, I know just from talking to our sources over the weekend, and even some today, there's a belief it'll be very hard to be the last league standing, you know, feeling like they can still do pull this off when everybody else has basically said they can't do it. We're talking with Adam Rittenberg. He's a senior college football writer for ESPN.com. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. I wanted to ask you about the explanation for why they are deciding to postpone potentially in the Big Ten, because there's been a lot of focus on the health and safety, and that's publicly what they're saying. But Adam, in in your opinion, is this more about the United players and the stance that we've seen on Twitter really over the last few days, but it's been bubbling up now for a week or two. How much of it is that versus the health and safety stuff that we've been talking so much about, in your opinion, as to why these conferences are considering postponing? Right. I, I really think from what I hear, it's much more about health and safety and about reports that have come out recently especially regarding the potential long-term effects of COVID-19. And I know this has been on the desk of Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. I know it's been presented in some ways to all the Power Five commissioners, but I know in the Big Ten it's, it's very much front and center that there's a concern about especially heart issues, the, the things that have actually happened to players in the Big Ten that have quote-unquote recovered from COVID-19 but really haven't because of these, uh, these, these heart issues and, and things that really could end their careers uh, and, their, and their competitive careers. And I know it's not a huge number, but it's something that's very concerning. I think for a lot of people in the medical community, there's a condition called myocarditis, which is a, a heart inflammation um, caused by a virus. And this is the virus that's causing it at what I'm told is a very alarming rate to the medical community. So while you know, people can sort of say, well, it's only this number of players and these guys don't have it, it's A, a very hard thing to test for. It's a very expensive thing to test for. And it's, it's very, very severe. I mean, it's the condition that killed the Big Ten coach, uh, Randy Walker, a few years after he had myocarditis back in 2006, I believe. So it's something that very much resonates in that conference. And I, I do think that's more of the driver than the, than the player uh, you know, empowerment movements, which, uh, again, are, are important, and I think we'll continue those discussions. But I, I, I think from what I've heard, it's really these, these new medical reports that are driving it. Do you think there was a decision to be made then? Because I, 
we're seeing it with professional sports, right? They're proceeding forward because of the money that is at stake here. And that's why we're going to see the NFL. That's why we have seen the NHL and NBA return and why baseball is playing right now, despite the lack of a bubble. Do you think there was a decision that had to be made of, do we go a different route here and decide amateurism is no longer a thing, or do we protect that for the long term and take this short term hit? Do you think that was ever a conversation that was had? Well, they never seriously looked at the bubble option. I mean, we could certainly argue that they should have back when this all started, but that would have required, you know, acknowledging what, what these athletes are and, and giving them a real opportunity to uh, to discuss and, and potentially bargain, and there's compensation elements to that. You just can't keep college athletes in a bubble and say that they're that they're students like everybody else. That, that's just That was never the discussion, and so that's part of the reason why we're here. I think there really was a hope that uh you know that the data nationally you know would 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 get better and in some places it has but i also think there was a real hope guys that there would have been a reliable rapid test um you know you've seen a lot about the testing protocols from the ncaa and i know some of the leagues have come out with their own but there's nothing in there that says that we are 100 percent sure that everybody that goes on the field for a given sport football you could take football on a saturday that all of those people are negative for COVID-19. I think if there was really a test available for all these schools that they felt confident they could take the day of the game and that everybody that tested, that everyone that was allowed on the field would, would, would have tested negative, I think that puts the presidents at, at ease a lot more than the situation right now. So I think that's a big part of this. They thought it was going to be in place, hasn't really been in place from a widespread uh, standpoint and an accessibility standpoint. And part of the reason why, you know, I think there's, there, there's there's a bit more panic that's set in as we sit here, you know, in, in almost mid-August uh, with with the with the theoretical season only a few weeks away. Now, Adam, as we dive back into what we were just talking about, do you think that the the number one concern for the NCAA, of course, health and safety, uh, for sure, they don't want these young athletes to be harmed in any way. But the flip side of that is, to your point earlier about not putting them in a bubble, do you think their other major concern is the fact that they're going to have to change the status of these athletes from amateur to actually employees at some point in order to have them play football this summer? Do do you think they're going to have to acknowledge that? And is that their biggest concern, switching from amateur to employee or paid student at that point? Right. And, and for that's always been seemingly the biggest concern is is acknowledging that that, you know, that that's that's the reality, that, that they're no longer in this uh, in, in this model that that has obviously served everybody for many, many years. Everybody except these athletes. And uh, that that I again, I, I think that, so, that a lot of the presidents would rather you've heard this rhetoric before, even before the pandemic, we, we would rather go division three than pay the players. We would rather not do this than pay the players. And that's kind of maybe where we're at right now, because I think we'd all agree that that the safest way to do this is to essentially keep these athletes in a bubble. But to do that, you can't call them amateurs. You can't not compensate them. You can't not uh, have a real negotiating session. And we've seen already in the Pac-12, at least from the players' perspective, they don't think the league is taking it as seriously as they wanted to uh, with with their initial uh, session last Thursday. And, and it's unknown whether they even have a new meeting set up. So um, th- all of those things would have to be taken a lot more seriously. And I think that's where the resistance does come in, as well as the health and safety in, the, in, those, in those areas. The presidents do not want 
to compensate athletes. They don't want the college model to change that dramatically. Final question for Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com joining us here on 101 ESPN. Adam, in your opinion, do we see any college football this fall? And if not, how do you think this moves forward from there? Is it, is it spring ball or what do they decide to do in place of that? Right. You know, I, I really until recently thought we would see some college football this fall and it still could happen. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think even for those leagues that want to hold out, it's going to be a difficult way forward to get to mid to late September and actually compete um, because we've just seen so many workouts that are stopped. Uh, we, 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 you know, students are reintegrating to campus right now. We don't know how that's going to impact some of these. I know many of them are working really hard and doing everything that they're told to avoid the virus. But, you know, again, we, we just don't know how that's going to progress once these campuses are fully popular, not fully populated, but more populated than, than they are right now. So I, 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 I'm not optimistic. Um, uh, it, I, I, you know, uh, still not, not, not completely ruling it out. But uh, as far as the spring season, you know, it's a messy deal. I mean, it's something that you hear from coaches. It, it, it messes up the schedule. Uh, who, who's on my roster? How many guys are going to be opting out uh, that have NFL aspirations or they're just done with football at this stage? Are guys going to stick around and, and prepare for a spring season without knowing for sure that it's going to kick off? So there, it, it adds a lot of uncertainty. But what it does do is it, 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 you do get more time. You get more time with students on campus. You get more time to develop more treatments and more knowledge about the virus. I do think by the spring that will be more widely available rapid testing, which I think is a huge key to this. And, and, and I think there's a chance to do it, but you're also adding on another season in the same calendar year. How's that going to impact these conversations about uh, student athletes and health and safety? So it's another set of, of issues that are related to the current one without knowing if the situation is really going to be all that different. But I think there will be attempts around much of, of college football at different levels to play a spring season for the leagues that have already canceled. Certainly plenty more still to come with college football and whether or not they're going to be able to play this fall at all. You can follow him on Twitter. He's Adam Rittenberg at ESPN Rittenberg. You can find his work as well at ESPN.com where he's the senior college football writer. Adam, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks for hopping on with us today. We look forward to talking with you again soon. And fingers crossed we're able to talk about some real college football at some point this fall. Yeah, sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Be safe. Thanks. You bet. That's Adam Rittenberg joining us here on 101 ESPN. As we were talking to him, Greg Sankey, the commissioner for the SEC, has released a statement on Twitter. He said, the best advice that I've received since COVID-19 was to be patient. Take time when making decisions. This is all new, and you'll gain more information each day. He adds that the SEC has been deliberate at each step since March, slowly returned to practice, delayed the first game to respect the start of the fall semester, developed testing protocols. We know that concerns still remain we have never had football season in a COVID-19 environment can we play I don't know but we haven't stopped trying we support educate and care for student athletes every day and we'll continue to do so every day again that coming from Greg Sankey the commissioner of the SEC does not sound like they are uh, at this point close to changing anything with their plans at all so Big Ten I think is going to cancel it I think the Pac-12 going to cancel it I wouldn't be surprised if we see at some point, not now, but some point, the Big 12 and the ACC follow suit. The SEC is the one that I still I'm I'm still holding out a little bit of hope for the SEC to be able to play this fall. But I I gain less and less confidence by the day. It's going to be tough. 
Any way you slice it is going to be tough, especially if you start losing some of these big conferences. I think that everybody at the start thought, oh, the little schools, the small conferences, they'll probably just fade into the background for this year. But when the big dogs start leaving, I don't know. I get a little worried. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's justified worry. Coming up next, let's get into some Blues big hitters. Excuse, big hitters. Blues quick hitters, rather, including... The best player on the ice for the Blues yesterday and what his role is going to be moving forward. We'll talk about that coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside four Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario. <laughs> I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go back out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. A late addition to the show. What a great addition to the show. He's Troy Brower, the Blues forward and Stanley Cup champion, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Troy, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. How are you doing, man? Oh, doing pretty good. Just kind of got back from practice, uh, waiting for our lunch to get dropped off, and then, uh, I don't know, kill the rest of the day, I guess. <laughs> So, Troy, I wanted to ask you about this round robin that you guys just concluded. What what was that like for you? Because the games matter, but they don't totally matter in a way that a playoff typically does. What was that like for you guys as players to go through something like that that's so foreign from what you're used to in the Stanley Cup postseason? Uh, it was definitely different, that's for sure. Um, you know, going into the first game, you're not really sure uh, what to expect or, or what the pace and, and uh, energy is going to be like, but... Uh, you know, all the games are, you know, intense. There was hitting. Um, guys are moving fast. You know, guys are getting, mucking it up and getting into some scrums and stuff like that. So the intensity was definitely there. But, uh, you know, it, it, it is a different feeling, I will say, when you're, you know that, uh, you know, you can't be eliminated in those first three games. Yeah, Troy, it's certainly a frame of mind, right? Like you you and I have been down that road, and, and look, you being a Stanley Cup champion, you know what it takes to close it all out at the end of the season. And this had to be weird in a lot of ways, but as you look back on the three games right now, what's the one thing that you think that the team could just tweak or just do a little bit better in order to be ready for that first round against the Vancouver Canucks? Um, for us, I think it's just our execution. Uh, you know, we were a little sloppy at times, uh, you know, putting pucks in bad areas for guys. Uh, so we couldn't get retrievals in the offensive zone and create some offensive opportunities. But uh, I, I think that's our biggest one. It's something that we've really been uh, focusing and working on in practice over the last week, making sure that, you know, those passes are crisp on the tape, you know, pucks are going in the right areas and the decision-making that uh, we've made. You know, we got to make sure that we're getting out of uh, – I'll say the summer hockey mentality where you can kind of just wheel around and, and uh, you know, do your thing. So those little details in that execution is uh, are, are things that uh, once we clean that up, uh, we'll, we'll be we'll be real good. Bro, you've had a great career, a long career, and you find yourself in a unique position to be back here in St. Louis, and now you throw a pandemic in the middle of this whole thing, and you're now you're living in a bubble. I mean, it just doesn't seem very normal, but at the end of the day, look, I've been that old goat in the locker room that has to help out and keep guys focused and keep them going, but for you being the veteran guy with a Stanley Cup ring attached, attached to your name, what's, the, what's something that you can do? to help these guys through this unique situation? 
Um, you know, I, I pride myself on having a pretty steady game, and, and you know, I, I try not to stray away from the things that make me successful and have made me successful for so long. And so um, that's one thing that I just kind of stress to the guys is, you know, just because it's playoffs doesn't mean you need to play any different. Um, some of your decisions may need to change at times, depending on what the time and score is in the game. But other than that, I mean, you, you just kind of, you know, go through it with the younger guys. That being said, uh, it is kind of a special team here where, you know, there's, I think it's 20 guys on the team of won a Stanley Cup and the majority of the team is returning. So, um, you know, there's there's not a ton that, uh, you know, I can teach these kids or, or tell these kids that they don't already know because they've been through a lot of it. But uh, just making sure that, uh, you know, guys are staying on track, doing the right thing, taking care of their bodies uh, because it is such a unique situation, um, you know, being in this bubble and everything that's happened over the past couple of months. We're talking with Troy Brower, the Blues forward and Stanley Cup champion here on 101 ESPN. Troy, I credit you or your goal against the Blackhawks a few years back as being the turning point for this organization where they were able to really get over the hump and eventually build into what they were last year when they won the Cup. What have you noticed in terms of whether it be the vibe on the team, the mindset on the team, whatever it may be, that is different this time around compared to when you were first traded to St. Louis and you arrived here with the Blues? What's the biggest difference that you've noticed inside of that that locker room? Well, the main thing is the confidence. Um, you know, once you're able to have that uh, that deep run and, and learn how to win and, and figure out, uh, you know, what it takes to get past certain rounds. And, you know, even we even though we weren't able to get to the finals and, and eventually win a Stanley Cup in my year, um, you know, those series where we, you know, went seven games a couple times um, and played some really tough teams, put ourselves in, in some tough spots and were able to come out of it, uh, you know, they're all great learning experiences for the guys. And, you know, you have to, you know, have a couple falls before, before you you win and and most guys will tell you that uh, most teams don't just win right out of the gates and so they need to learn and figure it out and you know I think that was kind of the the stepping off point was that season uh, where the guys needed to learn um, and and then there's no panic in in uh, in the dressing room that's one thing that I've noticed this year throughout the regular season and even in these um, round robin games is you know there's no panic on the bench there's no panic uh, in the room and, and that's just you know the mentality that's just the mentality of this team and that's uh, the demeanor of the team. And so going into a playoff series, um, you know, having that uh, confidence, it's, you know, it's like another weapon and and it's uh, something that you can always just fall back on, rely on and, and just keep going forward. Troy, one of the strengths of this team throughout the last year, certainly in their run last year, was how close they are. That they all just really like being around each other. And when they get on the road, they found that they played their best hockey because the group just came together even more. These have been some frustrating games, even though their role is a whole in the bubble after that, as far as the guys hanging out and staying upbeat. And again, that's another role for a veteran guy like you is to make sure that everybody stays focused and that, you know, everybody's getting along still. But what's the vibe like around the bubble for you guys right now? It's actually really good. I mean, obviously, we were disappointed that we weren't able to get a win in the round robin. But, uh, you know, and after the game last night, we all got back to the room. We had uh, a team meal, and then uh, we all went up to our, our lounge, and I think I think there was probably 30 guys up there, and we were playing cards. We were having a, having a beer, watching the game, laughing, having fun. No, you know, this team knows um, what needs to be done, and it, it's very difficult to just, you know, flip a switch and make sure that you're playing your best hockey. And so we are a little uh, disappointed in ourselves that we weren't able to at least get a win and get a good feeling before we go into this first round. But that being said, um, you know, it, the guys here know that you need a short memory in playoffs. And so for us, 
last night uh, we had some fun. We, we hung out, had some laughs, and, and uh, um, we've done that actually the majority of the nights because uh, it sucks just sitting in your hotel room by yourself all day, every day. So at any time, you can go up to the lounge and have some fun, and, and uh, the guys have been upbeat and, and uh, actually enjoying the situation quite a bit. All right, bro. You're uh, you're you're hanging out in the bubble, and things were much different when you and I were breaking into the league a long time ago. But you're sitting back in the lounge, right? And, and you're looking at this younger group of guys. And I'm just wondering, what does Troy Brower do up in the bubble? Because I just don't see you as the PS4 like Fortnite guy. I don't think diving he's on in. Twitch. Yeah, I don't think you're that guy that's on Twitch. So it's got to be amusing to you and refreshing at the same time to watch some of these young guys and and just enjoy their enthusiasm for life oh absolutely and uh you know it's i, I spend a lot of my time uh talking to my family facetime with my kids um you know i, I play cards up in, in the room because that's pretty much all there is to do uh at certain points in the day but i will say i, I used to be a pretty good gamer um i stopped once i had kids for quite a while but uh <laughs> you know Special circumstances here in the bubble. I did get my wife to send my uh, Xbox up, so I've been playing a little bit, but uh, I'm not nearly as intense. So I know we got some of the young guys that are watching live streams of guys playing Fortnite and stuff like that, and we just sit back and kind of laugh at them. But hey, that's what their interests are, and, and that's all right. They're keeping busy. What's your go-to game, bro? Like these young guys, um, you know, they've got all this Fortnite and all that. What's your go-to? I'm a Call of Duty guy, and then I also like uh, playing a little golf. So um, I got, uh, I think the last game that came out was uh, Royal McIlroy PGA. So I've been playing that quite a bit, trying to shoot some low scores, uh, watch some golf. And, and uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's actually been fun. Uh, but uh, I will say it is pretty difficult uh, to be away from the kids. Um, and just have, even though FaceTime is, a, is an amazing tool to stay in touch with your family, it's still uh, pretty difficult. But uh, you got to keep busy. Otherwise, you just kind of stress over that kind of stuff. Have you been able to get out to the golf course out there that, you, that they have? Uh, no, they don't have one set up for us as of yet. Um, so it's, we've had some beautiful days. Uh, we don't have a ton of outdoor space here in, in Edmonton bubble. So it would be nice to get out and play around. But, uh, those are things that I think they're even, even now still trying to figure out, uh, ways for us to get out, do a couple things, and, and uh, just kind of have a change of scenery and, and pick the mood up at times. We're talking to Troy Brower, the Blues forward and a Stanley Cup champion here on 101 ESPN. Troy, I know you mentioned a few times your wife and your kids back home. I wanted to ask you, because this this weekend I actually proposed to my girlfriend, so uh, we, are, we are on that path uh, moving forward. I need some advice for you because <laughs> I proposed on Saturday and by Sunday yeah. there was a book that was handed to us and I'm pretty sure Kara, my my now fiance, has half of our wedding already planned within 24 hours. <laughs> What's your best Perfect. advice for me to get through whatever this next year plus is going to be with the wedding planning? What I always did, I was like, what does your mother think? What does your mother think? I just keep, keep pushing it to somebody else. So I made the decisions on the old financial aspect, but the rest of it, I just kind of kept asking questions, asking questions, um, trying not to give an answer because, you know, I've been married for 11 years now, and it doesn't matter if she comes out to me and says, you know, which dress should I wear tonight? I just got to the point where I'm like, doesn't matter what I think anyway. You're going to make your own decision. So you got to have that same mentality with your wedding. It's just be like, ah, just whatever you want. Whatever you want. 
But then when you get the bill, that's kind of your time when you can be like, yeah, maybe or maybe not. <laughs> Is there any advice that you have for marriage that you would like to give? Uh, marriage. Um, I don't know. Laugh, smile, have fun. Take the um, loss. I don't know. Pick any country. Pick any country song you want. They got great marriage. <laughs> Troy, you're the best man. That is Troy Brower joining us here on 101 ESPN. We wish you guys all the best up there in the bubble. Hopefully, you guys have the best of luck here in this first round against the Canucks, and uh, we look forward to watching you, man. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me on. You got it. That's Troy Brower joining us here on 101 ESPN. That is one of my fi- all-time favorite hockey players. Uh, you were geeking out a little bit. I, I knew love, you were. I love watching that dude play. I'm telling you that that moment against Chicago is one that I will never forget. It, it's true, though. You're that, right. That was when I fell in love with hockey because I grew up in Kansas City. The Blues aren't the biggest thing in the world there. I didn't have a hockey team there locally. Everything was baseball, football, and basketball for me growing up. And so when I I came out here to St. Louis, I was like, oh, okay, I guess we cover the Blues now. Uh, sweet. <laughs> and so I was just plopped into St. Louis during that playoff run. I got here in that first round against uh, Chicago. And so I was like, whoa, this is a- amazing. And uh, loved watching Brower, and that's that's where we are today. So I'm glad he's back with the team and is playing so well um, here in this round, Robin. Hopefully we get to see a little bit more of him moving forward. He's a good dude, man. And uh, it, it, you know what? That's one of the things we, we brought up Pat Maroon earlier about how instrumental he was with the St. Louis Blues. Troy Brower has that ability, too. He's a funny guy. He he has good timing on when to lighten the guys up. He has good timing on when to push the pedal and make sure these guys are intense. And you hear he's hanging out with the guys, too. He's got a pretty good pretty good uh, grasp on the temperature of this group right now. And that's where the veteran guys really pay off. So I'm looking forward to watching him. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. My Lord, BK, you said he's the best three times in that closing with Troy. All right, listen, I might have gone a little bit over. You just wanted to make sure. It's okay. You're thorough. Wanted to make sure that he heard. Yeah, I'll pass sure. that information along to Joe Vitale that he's not number two to uh, number oh, one for wow, you anymore. That's actually a great question. Ooh. Questions and answers. Who's the best, Joey Vitale or Troy Brower? Joey's. I mean, let's be honest. He's he's still number wow. one of the power. So text Troy and tell him that BK Brower hates right him. Now, Brow, sorry you got on the podium, but it's a silver medal. I mean, that's an impressive finish. You know, it's an impressive it's performance by Troy Brower. Better than Keith Law. We'll cross things Hello. over coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on. 101 ESPN. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's cross things over with BT in the fast lane. BT, what's coming up today, man? <laughs> That's about how much time we got left, isn't it? That's good, though. That's a beautiful thing. A late edition of Troy Brower yeah. is a nice thing to Team add money. to the we show. We had to have a little extra time for him. Of course, of course. But hell, that's what's coming up on the fan. Well, not Troy. You know, he's not going to join us. <laughs> we'll talk some blues. The fact that we like have real games. You know that switch they keep talking about flipping? We're going to find out in a couple of days if that's a real thing, if you could do that one. We'll talk some uh, Cardinal baseball. Fingers crossed. We'll get a little bit more uh, uh, clarity on what's going on there. And, uh, you know, college football might be screwed. So there's a lot going on in the world of sports today. On the plus side, our listeners have an opportunity for a Budweiser and 101 ESPN teaming up 
for a one-of-a-kind giveaway. We're giving away a custom Budweiser-branded John Deere riding lawnmower. This is your final chance to enter. The giveaway ends this Thursday. Find the contest now on the 101 ESPN mobile app. Use the promo code BUD, that's B-U-D, BUD, to get entered. Must be 21 or older to enter. See full contest rules and more info now on 101ESPN.com or the 101 ESPN mobile app. For Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. The Fast Lane is coming up next. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.